Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 5. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And back from the Far East, we have Jaime Lopez Jr. Konnichiwa. How's it going? Do we have, do we have Jaime Lopez Jr.? I was waiting for the <laughs> in Seattle, Washington queue. So. Oh, in oh. Seattle, Washington. In Seattle, Washington, Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? Good. Um, <laughs> So speaking of uh, the far, far east, is it is it east? I'm just trying to think. Is it east or yes? I guess it is east, right? Um, it's east if you're going how, overland from England. So I don't think that's well, yeah, necessarily that's, a that's fair adaptation I mean. anymore. Yeah, I mean, because it's kind of west for us perspective. But anyway, so how was uh, how was uh, how was it being the tallest guy in the room? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was a good good trip. Nice to be in japan nice to see people at a conference in person uh again this time for uh you know personal conference and not a work conference and um, i guess i almost have shadow picks because you know there's like a 10-hour flight from seattle to ah. to tokyo so you know i loaded up with um stuff to watch because the in-flight entertainment was available but i really didn't have anything that i uh that i needed to watch i you know not that many new movies out that I hadn't already seen. So my streaming picks are uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the app perspective. So the good are Netflix and Disney Plus, which, um, you know, you only have a limited amount of time to to watch these episodes. Otherwise, you like temporarily lose the license. But in their case, you can just renew the license and you don't have to re-download it again. So that was great. Right. So the night before, what do you mean by renew the license? So normally you download like a, an episode or you download a, a movie. You get like, I don't know, like 30 days or something. Let's pretend. Oh, OK. Right. Yeah. And after 30 days, normally these apps will require you to, you know, delete the download and, and re-download it again. But Netflix and Disney Plus are smart enough to say, well, we already transferred the bits. We just need to re-up their license again, which is literally the term that they use for. Um, the UI and I just magically had those things available again. They were already sitting on my my phone. The uh, the bad are Prime Video and HBO Max, which do require re-downloading. And uh, rounding out the ugly are Paramount Plus and Hulu, which do not let me download at all on the uh, the cheapo plan that I'm on. So they they want you to pay for huh. the the ad free tier to to get the uh, the benefit of uh, of downloading. So. Interesting stuff there. So, so there you go. If you're planning, a, you know, a nice long trip, you're not going to have internet access. Uh, you might want to go with Netflix and Disney Plus. Um, if you have no other options, you know, Prime Video and HBO Max. And uh, if you don't have any internet, Paramount Plus and Hulu better have those uh, those higher tier paid plans. Otherwise, you get nothing. You can, you can stare at the pretty gem on your home screen. <laughs> <laughs> Amuse yourself. Ooh, no. 
so the question uh, we had also the the follow up question was when you were in your hotel in in Japan were you able to use VPN to access North American services? You know, I I didn't I didn't go uh, go through with doing that. Um, okay, buddy, get back on the plane. answer. You know, I did actually try seeing what. Oh man, I I didn't write notes for this. I think Paramount Plus loaded the the main screen, but didn't finish loading. Like it couldn't figure out what to do with me. And I think Netflix said, "Oh." Um, Oh no, it wasn't. Netflix. It was Disney Plus. That's right, because I saw Mandalorian. It said, "Oh, by the way, uh, you're in a different region now, so the things that you can see might be different." Yeah, I, so. I think that's that's. I think that was Disney, the one that that I tried that gave me the same same error too. But uh, by the way, speaking of uh, when you mentioned license, I'm thinking, oh, are we talking about this network Netflix thing? Have you guys heard that Netflix is back down on their their test, as it were? Really, good, the good people of Canada uh, rose up and and saved the rest of the world on this. Is that what happened? Was it only Canada they were trying this in? Or? It was Canada and I think two other markets. Okay, because one one of the guys at work was saying that that Netflix had backed down on that that uh, they're doing air quote test. So, so I don't know what the status is right now. I'm still protesting. <laughs> <laughs> As are a number of people at work too. Yeah. Well, we'll look into that one for next week. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, it's uh, so fact check. We have one fact check, and it's from Jonathan today. Yeah. So we were talking. Uh, we've been talking about The Last of Us for our, uh, the last five episodes, and we or four episodes, I suppose. And we were talking last week about the amazing performance of Bella Ramsey. Uh, I was reading a follow up piece after we recorded and noticed that they were using uh, they them as her pronouns, and so I looked that up and saw that Bella identifies as non-binary and uses they, them to identify themselves. So here's a challenge for us. Uh, we are going to try and use Bella's preferred pronouns henceforth. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. Cool. Yep. All right. And then why don't you just keep going into the headlines, John? Into the headlines. Well, the biggest thing this week was probably the Oscars. So Oscars 2023 kind of went by the formula everyone was expecting, which is, uh, that is to say, no one got slapped, nor was there a kerfuffle over the wrong envelope being handed to somebody. Now, just on that point there, did you did you guys watch the broadcast at all? Yes. Did you watch, did you see the very tail end when Jimmy Kimmel walked off stage? No. Okay, so he walks oh, off, he walks off walks stage. Oh, the donkey? The, he walks past the donkey and he, and he high fives the cocaine bear. Yeah. And then he then he has a sign saying days since um, oh, Oscar I did see that. Yes. violence, and he puts a puts a one on. Yes, Oscars since yeah, with it since violence. Yeah. Since violence, yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that part. Yes, um, yeah. It was a good ceremony. It was you know it was pretty uh, straightforward. It was mm -hmm. definitely a lot less messy than than last year's telecast. The big winner, of course, was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I think we all really uh, were fans of. It took home uh, most of the big awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Michelle Yeoh, Best Supporting Actor for Kei Kwan, and mm -hmm. Best Supporting Actress for Jamie Lee Curtis in what some might consider a bit of an upset, because I think a lot of people were thinking Angela Bassett might win that one. Yeah, right. And uh yeah, and then I guess the other sort of big winner of the night was uh, Brendan Fraser, Canada's own Brendan Fraser 
winning yep. Best Actor for his performance. Toronto's own, never mind Canada. You got it. You got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for his performance in The Whale. And uh, yeah, it was a great night for Canada. We had uh, Brendan Fraser winning Best Actor. We had Sarah Pauly winning for Best Adapted Screenplay for Women Talking. And uh, Adrian Moreau won for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. And I had a friend remind me this week that I've actually met Adrian Moreau. We went to his uh, his studio a number of years ago in uh, just outside Montreal. And he gave us a, a lovely tour. A friend of mine is very much into uh, horror films. I was going to say that's the horror film guy, right? That's the horror film guy, yeah. So oh, uh, wow. I went there with a couple of my friends. We went for a weekend in Montreal. And, uh, and he showed us around his, his uh, special effects studio. He was doing props at that point for uh, a bunch of different movies. He had just finished doing, uh, what was the name of the Harrison Ford sub-movie? U5-something? U571 or something? Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had just finished doing the props on that, included all these, like, frozen dead bodies. I guess it's about a submarine that, like, freezes underwater or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a surreal experience. I mean, he was really, really talented. This this was 20-plus years ago that we were there. Um, But super, super nice guy. And... It was just funny because uh, a friend of mine posted a picture on his Facebook wall this week and was like, hey, you know, this is this great picture. I'm like, I think I took that picture. And he's like, yeah, we were there. Remember meeting Adrian? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I'm another Oscar winner that I've met, which is pretty pretty cool. And cool. Uh, obviously yeah. another Canadian. So, yeah, good for him. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was going to I want to say this about the broadcast. It was a toss up there because it looked like, um, All Quiet on the Western Front was going to win a lot of, a lot of awards too. Like it swept up. I think three or four Oscars as well. I have, don't have the actual it numbers won four, in front of me. Yeah, it won four. Yeah, four. It, it won, and you know, not not inconsequential ones. The best cinematography and a few other things, but uh, but you could tell once it started cleaning, like it, you know, winning the both the acting awards early for the best supporting actor and supporting actress, and then it started mm-hmm. gaining steam. And you could see, like, when it came down to the actual award being handed out, I don't think there was any doubt where it was going at that point. Well, do you think so? Because I mean, like, like the, I mean, because the voting is done anonymously, essentially, right? And and uh, you know, and and like, you know, sometimes you know, somebody like an Angela Bassett would win an award because it's Angela Bassett, and she, I don't know if she's ever won an Oscar. No, nominated but never yeah. won. Yeah. So a lot of first time, first time um, nominees too. This this time was interesting, but because you never know how the Academy's going to vote, it's it's really strange. So it was even, I mean, it was still nail biting when they went when they got around to Michelle Yeoh, you know. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I think, I think there was a real sort of, well, everyone says that Kate Blanchett was, was amazing yeah. in Tar. I, ha- I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I did. I rented that one the other day. I should have told you about it, but I, yeah, I rented it the other day um, and watched it. So very yeah. interesting. I, I can probably talk about it in my, my picks now that you mention it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people were sort of saying, well, you know, she's already got two Oscars. Does she need a third Oscar when Michelle Yeoh has no Oscars? Like, that's a bad I don't, I don't think that's how thing. the voting works. No, it's, it's not. But I bet you that entered into some of the decision making in the voting was she already had a best supporting and a best uh, a best actress Oscar already. I think, mm. you know, I mean, obviously that there's no cap on how many you can be nominated for nominated for or win. But it's, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it it's a nicer story for sure. Especially as we're starting to hopefully see a corner being turned on, you know, reflecting all of society and not just white society at these kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. it was it was nice. But even Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis was a surprise, too. I mean, like, mm-hmm. not a surprise. I'm glad she won because I, I wanted her to win because I can tell you when, when an actor's on the screen for at least 10 minutes before I can recognize them. 
that's an amazing performance. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, she was. I, she was. I think they were all great. I mean, there there was not a lot of duds. I I had seen about half of the the big pictures that had been nominated, and and you know, I think anybody could have won awards out of that stuff. But sure. I think it is a positive trend that it's not just you know, like is this, is this the first sci-fi movie that's won an Oscar? I don't think so. And I hmm. guess it depends on how you define sci-fi, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly it's a you know it's it's a positive sign for genre films. I mean you know at its core, obviously it's a relationship, it's a it's a family movie and everything else. But you know tie, all tied together with this this fun thread of of you know timey wimey dimensional travel and all that kind of stuff. I uh, I think this is a positive step, you know. And again, like to have you know an Asian cast, you know, and and. You know, the number of nominations they got, the number of awards they got, I think it's great. I think it's good. Like, hopefully, as you say, hopefully this isn't a blip, but this is a trend. Yeah, so speaking of Oscar winners that have won Academy Awards, 2001, 2000 Leagues Under the Sea, 1954. 20,000. 20, 20,000, thank you. Um, <laughs> like I say, 2010, or whatever. No, uh, I'm, I, I wanted of... to make a uh, USD to CAD joke, and I... Oh. I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't yeah. uh, make it come out fast enough to, to get it there, but yeah, uh, there you so, go. Yeah, uh, so 19,372 kilometers under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't check the math on that one, folks. Uh, Time Machine 1961 for Best Special Effects. Fantastic Voyage 1966, Visual Effects and Art Direction. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, Best Special Effects, 1968. Uh, Planet of the Apes, 1968, honorary, honorary award for best makeup effects. That's not really an award. Well, because I don't think they had one at that point. Star Wars, 1977, best visual effects, original score, film editing, production design, sound mixing, and costume design. Um, Alien, 1979, best visual effects. You see where I'm going here? Like, I don't, I'm not, I haven't said best picture yet, have I? Yeah, no. Uh, Empire, mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back, 1980, best sound and special achievement for visual effects. The E.T., the extraterrestrial, best visual effects, original score, sound and sound effects editing. And then we have Aliens, 1986, uh, best visual effects. And then we have Total Recall, 1990, special achievement for visual effects. I don't know what that means. Uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, 1991, visual effects, makeup, sound, and a special effects. Jurassic Park, 1993, best visual effects, sound and sound effects. Gravity. Boo. One of Johnson's favorite <laughs> movies of all time. That 2013. Though, uh, wait a minute. Best director, cinematography, visual effects, original score, film editing, sound mixing, and sound editing, but not best picture. Oh. Best director, though. Mm. Was that Birdman? Did Birdman win that year? Mad Max Fury Road, 2015. Best film editing, sound editing, sound mixing, production design, makeup and hairstyling, and costume design, and just a kick ass lead, lead person. Uh, Arrival 1916, best sound editing, and that's it. So it looks like to me, like, and, and of course they don't have, my news has not been updated for, yeah, this is February 2022, so it hasn't been updated for the fact that I think this is the first sci-fi movie that has won an, an Academy Award. For Best Picture, yeah. Hmm. For Best Picture, yes. Yeah. Yeah, for Best Picture, sorry. I, I, did I not qualify that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool. nice little feather for the fans. Well, I mean, for us, for us geeks, right? Because, yeah. I mean, how many times have you sat there and, th- and seen Star Wars something or other nominated and kind of went, oh, sound well, editing? Oh, Avatar. Well, oh. Okay, what about uh, Return of the King? Didn't win. Did it? Yes, it did. 
Okay, well, why is it, it not listed? It's arguably as... the the weakest of those three movies, and yet it won because they were kind of building up to it. They nominated him for Best Picture and Best Director for all of them, and then he won all the awards for Return of the King. I guess because it's fantasy, not sci-fi. Yeah, it fits yeah, in the sci-fi flat slash fantasy section of like the bookstore. So, does that mean we but... don't talk about uh, Rings of Power anymore on this show? Because you know. <laughs> No, yeah. Tim, we're, we're, we're picking nits here on, uh, you know, sci-fi best picture. <laughs> we said, okay, if we expand it enough, we say, all right, return. Okay, so, yeah, I will grant you, did, did, did in fact, it win? That's the question. It, it did, did win. Yes, it, it did win, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Return of the really long movie. All right. Okay, how about this? It's the first sci-fi movie that deserved <laughs> to win. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Oscar for best picture. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yay, yeah. team. Go team. Yay, Sarah Polly. Go Canada. Yeah, I was so happy to I was so happy to see Sarah. Again, I was it was a nail biter when Sarah Polly was up for her award too, right? So. Yeah, it's funny when it when it came up, I, I was sitting there watching it with my wife and I said, I want Sarah Polly to win, but I don't think she will. And then she won. Yeah. I was like, that's that's awesome. Um you know, I've obviously we we love her because she's ours, um, but she's also incredibly talented. Like she's such a such a talented filmmaker and uh and such an interesting person. I'm I'm glad she's she's got that recognition for her work. Hopefully, that means they'll fund more of her movies. Yeah. Well, I I think I think uh, somebody made a comment that all of the Canadians that won weren't for anything create or produced in Canada. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. So that that's another kick in the kick in the butt for uh, Canadian um, Canadian filmmaking, as it were. Yep. Cool. Right. Next up. Next up. Well. Tim, this one will excite you. Mm -hmm. So Red Dwarf is a beloved cult classic science fiction show that has been around for, hold on to your socks, folks, 40 years. And <laughs> and uh, it sort of comes in waves. We, you know, we got the original series back in the 80s into the 90s. And then, uh, you know, that was on the BBC. It went away for a while. It came back uh, on the the UK cable channel Dave for a little while in the, the early two thousands, two thousand nine, I think it was. They came back, did a few seasons and a mini series, and then it disappeared again. And there was sort of a question as to like, where what's what's going on? Well, it turns out that um, Grant and Naylor, so that's Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, the two uh, famous creators of the show were having a bit of a dispute about the IP rights to... The two of them, or they were with somebody else? It sounds like it was between the two of them, because the way they phrased okay. it in their release that I've, I've got here from their production company, it says, Rob, Grant, and Doug Naylor are delighted to announce that the ongoing dispute over the Red Dwarf rights has been resolved. Moving forward, moving onwards and upwards, Doug... Uh, Rob and Doug hope to launch separate iterations of Red Dwarf across various media working again oh. with the cast and other valued partners and wish each other the very best. Smoke a kipper, Red Dwarf will be back for breakfast. So <laughs> the the way that they describe it in this piece that I've, I've got linked into our show notes is that they were kind of working on their own sides of stuff as it was. Grant was working on like novels and some of the sort of non non-television uh, movie-based stuff while Naylor was still working with the TV series. And I guess they've decided to sort of split those things up and work on those as, as sort of separate entities. Hmm. Hopefully we don't end up to, with two canons, right? Well, I mean, I've read, I think, at least one of the 
the books that they wrote, but they wrote it together. Yeah. That was way yeah. back when. Yeah. I have not was read anything. Was it called anything. Better Than Life, or, or is that was just chapter in the book? I can't remember. I have it on my shelf downstairs, but I can't remember what it's been again, 30 years. Uh, yeah. but I, 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 I'll be, I'll be frank and do respect to, uh, to Rob Grant. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to read the books as much as I'm going to watch another iteration of the, the show. So, sure. Yeah. You know, so I guess I'm team Doug Naylor. I don't know, <laughs> but that's good. I'm hoping that they'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll continue. Well, you're either team Rimmery or team, you know, Lister. Yeah. Lister, yeah. It's, wait, well, you can't be one or you can't be both. No, no. <laughs> Jaime has no idea what we're talking about. No, I'm, uh, you know, happy on your behalf that this stuff will be resolved. You I have don't 13 really... years of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> it's all available on uh, on the uh, iTunes store. Yeah, or I can ship you the, the DVDs and <laughs> a couple of Blu-rays. Yep. Is it on iTunes? Yeah, I guess it is, yeah. Yeah, I have. or it may be on it may be on another service. We'll talk about later. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> cool. Speaking of Jaime and his headline, is... yeah. So I think we've kind of gotten accustomed to the idea that uh, you know a beloved broadcast show you know might get resurrected and resumed on a streaming service. But I think this is one of those times where now shows that were canceled before they even premiered might be picked up by a different streaming service. In this case, it's uh, Batman Caped Crusader, which Warner Brothers uh, axed to cut costs because they were, they were carving everything out and saying no more, nothing more for HBO Max Threadbare. Uh, Amazon has supposedly picked up this show, so it, it might still come out. Cool. So there's hope for uh, Batgirls still, right? Nope. Was it back? Batgirl? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> there, is hope. there is hope for some things. Batgirl is not one of those things. They will never see the light of day. Really? Huh. Well, because basically part of the write-down deal was that they, they could never air it or they would lose the tax loophole. That, so they'd have, it would cost oh, them, right, it would cost right. them tens of millions of dollars to do that. No way. Oh, so they took it as a tax write-off. Yep. Wasn't, oh, really? Yeah. They wrote, they wrote that down when they, because it was an acquisition when they bought, when Discovery bought HBO. They basically yeah. had an opportunity, a window to basically go through and, you know, scrap certain things. And they got certain tax concessions on, on making those decisions. But once they made those decisions and they got those tax incentives or tax write-offs, if they go back on it, they get the full tax bill on those things. So, yeah, I think it was going to save them like $20 million. So unless you've got a check for $20 million, I don't think they're going to let you see that movie. Right, right. Cool. Well, I'm, I take it that uh, that you couldn't uh, listen to um, Spotcast podcast while you were in uh, Japan or traveling back, or maybe I didn't get the edit done in time. But uh, so over to you, Jaime. Yeah, we've got uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem trailer. Um, kind of a an interesting mix here of styles in that it's a uh, 3D animated movie. Starring a, a younger version of the Ninja Turtles. They're like barely teenagers in this one, if they're even that. And it's done with that animation style that feels a lot like Into the Spider-Verse, if you all have seen yeah. the, the trailer here. So kind of an interesting take. Um, I feel like the Ninja Turtles are kind of like Scooby-Doo. They're sort of evergreen, uh, no pun intended, in terms of a, you know, <laughs> the basic idea is is myth and legend and if you don't like a series, whatever, just wait it out a few more years and they'll do another one and, and keep things going from generation to generation. 
That, yeah. that was almost like Jonathan's review of it last week. I think he almost hit every 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 point. Yeah, cool. I will say though, I will <laughs> I will say though that that I did watch it and it's a really interesting interesting style. I mean, I, I like it. It's kind of like I don't know if you guys remember Iron Giant mixed a lot of 3D rendering with animation style. Like there were parts of the mm-hmm. movie that were like the main character. I think he was a 3D rend- 3D object that they and then they. I don't know if they drew over top of the cells or whatever, but that, you know, that was the, I forgot who the guy, the Brad Bird and the, one of the animators that, that won some award recently were both working on that. And, um, the, um, the, the style is, it's very 3D, but very animated, which is really kind of cool. Like, you know, like the, just art from an artistic point of view, right? So. I don't know. I mean, and, but, but, you know, the, the story, and you said, like you said, the story does sound it's a bit goofy, a bit sort of younger audience-y, kind of not the big scary rubber guys guys in rubber suits that, that Jonathan and I talked about last week, right? So it is interesting. It, look, it looks looks interesting. I don't know if I want to see it in the theater, but, you know. I don't know. I saw Into the Spider-Verse in the theater when it came out, and it was amazing. It was no, amazing I, that to one, see on the big screen. That one I could see in the big... In the big that's what I'm saying. The different, I think the difference is that I mean, did you find that this had the same sort of like, hey, I want to see that on the big screen kind of vibe? Yeah, kind of do. Okay. Right. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It looks really good. It looks, it, it's the first time, I think I mentioned it last week, Lee Kaime, sorry you, you missed out on, on my my review, but you just, yeah, you just nailed it. Um, yeah, it, this is the first time in, I can't tell you how many years where I was like, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, cool. I, mm-hmm. I have not been interested in anything they've done. I didn't really look like the look of the big, uh, you know, roided out live action ones they did over the past decade. Uh, none of the cartoon iterations have really caught my eye. But this one, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, it's like a little bit after that uh, Into the Spider-Verse. And it just looks fun. Yeah. Cool. How about you, Jaime? Are you going to go see it, see it in the theater? I don't know about theater. Um but it does look like one that I'll that I'll watch. Um, I think there have been, you know, again, like there's different sort of generations of this thing where I did watch the the roided out Michael Bay movies, uh, skipped some of the the younger stuff, the more Nickelodeon crowd. This feels like it leans a little bit more Nickelodeon, but something about the the blend that they found makes me feel like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch this, just not necessarily in theater. Although it probably will look good because, as you mentioned, Tim, the the style is is interesting and it's got that that animated uh traditional feel even though it's 3d animated yeah the 26 2016 one with megan fox was the sort of more scarier version right mm-hmm. yeah yeah cool actually it's a friend of a friend of a friend of mine was one of the one of the uh actors in the costumes in oh. in the first the first batch hmm. not this not this latest one but yeah back in the when was it like the 90s i guess is it Oh, the, the, oh, the original one? The original one was, yeah, like 1990, something like that. Um, yeah, and again, that whole that whole um, franchise is, is after my time anyway. Like, I came out in the, was it 90s, 80s, 90s, when the, the yeah, cartoon early came 90s. out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, back over to Jonathan. Next up, I got some sad news. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, your mileage may vary. Uh, so, it was announced this week that Disney Plus will not be bringing back Willow for a season two or three. I was a little lukewarm when it first came out, the, the Disney Plus Willow series, but I must admit, as as it kept going, I enjoyed it more and more, and by the time they got to the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm ready for a season two. I would watch a season two of this. And so I was hopeful, 
because they hadn't made any statements, but also a little bit pessimistic because the longer these things drag out, the more you worry. And it had been, you know, if it's something that's hot and a success, you'd you'd think that after they dropped the finale, they would make those kinds of calls. And they didn't, and they didn't, and they didn't. And finally, this week, they announced that they're not going to bring it back, which is a bummer on many levels. One, I think that they were just kind of finding their groove. And two, it leaves on a freaking cliffhanger. So it's it's a drag. It's a drag that they're not gonna they're not going to be able to finish that story. I liked that they were being a little little cheeky and saying, well, we've we've got a plan to do three seasons already. It, it had lots of, you know, lots of love for it. Uh, you know, critically, it actually rated pretty well. But I guess it just didn't have the numbers to justify the expense and 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 obviously we've seen a larger overall trend towards them scaling back. And I mean, by them, I mean all of Hollywood scaling back on the cost of productions and trying to sort of scale things down because it's clearly they're not making what I think they hoped they would on streaming. And so obviously you're going to see some of these things, you know, get bumped off. But yeah, this this one bummed me out. Are, are you guys sad, happy, not worried? Disappointed. Disappointed for sure. Um I'm disappointed that, that they're not going to, that they're, that would, I, I can't, I can't think of a reason why they would want to bring it back. I mean, um, well, cost. Yeah. But, but like, I mean, I don't know, like, are, are they, are they saying they're like losing money, like bleeding money because of the series or are they saying, I don't that, think it's because of the series. I think overall, I think a lot of the streamers are, are just not seeing the revenue return for what they're investing into it. I mean, we've already seen stories, and we talked about it a little bit the last uh, couple of months, that we've seen things like, uh, you know, Jaime mentioned Cape Crusader earlier on, things that seemed like no-brainers that have just been axed that you'd think would not, you know, be a huge problem, but I guess they're just, a lot of a lot of the streamers are, are sort of divesting themselves of stuff they don't think is going to, you know, make them the money in the long run, which is, it's not great for fans, for sure. I mean, we've already seen this happen with you know, things like the live action Cowboy Bebop and some of the other stuff where people were like, cool, it's got a season and then it's just gone already. You're like, oh, well, never mind then. And and I mean, this one stings in the same way that it did for the Dark Crystal. Like I waited 35 years for, for somebody to pick that story up, almost 40 years to pick that story up and do something else with it. And they did it. And it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was very, very cool expansion of the of the mythology. And then it's gone. And the same thing with Willow, you know, like I loved it. It was, you know, arguably uh, you know, a cult movie, not necessarily a huge box office smash or anything, but I, I really had a spot in my heart for it. And, and, you know, here's your one season and and you're done. And both of those left with a lot of question marks. Like there's no ending to the, the age of resistance, the dark crystal series There's no end to this one. Like that's crappy. Mm, yeah. I mean, what'd you think? You know, I'm, I'm disappointed about it not getting a second season as well. And I guess I got to understand that it, it did seem like a more expensive show. So if they don't, you know, immediately, as soon as the finale premieres, be like, oh, second season's coming soon. Uh, it really does make you feel like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen, just given the way that these things tend to go. Um, I feel like for the people who are making shows out there, you know, you could do your fans more of a service or less of a disservice, depending how you feel like describing this, and plan out your shows to have, you know, connecting arcs, but not end on cliffhangers. And I feel like that makes it feel more sour. Like you can totally leave things open of like, 
hey, wait a minute, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, well, there you go. That's what season two is about, if it ever happens. But to have it be like, dun-dun-dun, you know, at the end, and it's like, oh, that's a cool way to draw me in for the next season that's never happening. You know, like, yeah. like Netflix is probably the worst at this, and it feels like all you need is for the writers to not make a heavy cliffhanger and just make it a softer sort of connection. You know, still interesting, still something that can pull you in, but make it feel like it's closed. Um, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think what was the one that was, uh, do you guys remember Joss Whedon's Dollhouse series on Fox? Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so that was another example where people were like, Joss is going to get back into bed with Fox after they messed him around over Firefly. Yeah. And then they did the first season of Dollhouse, which was good. It was a good series. And then they came back and they were like, well, it's not quite doing well enough for us to just, you know, carte blanche it. And yet it was amazing. But let's make a compromise. So what they said was, you can have one more season to wrap everything up. And season two, I don't think was as strong as season one because it felt kind of squooshed. But I'm very grateful to Fox, who generally I don't have a lot of strong good feelings for because they have messed around with a lot of good genre television. Uh, but it was nice that they got, they were like, okay, we recognize that there's a fan base for this. We recognize that we've sort of invested so far and people have invested their time. Finish your story. And even, you know, I mean, we saw that with HBO with, uh, with, um, oh God, what's the name of that Western show? Uh, oh, my brain. Firefly show? Yeah, Firefly. <laughs> Western. <laughs> no, he's, he's thinking of the, the, um, the one with all the F-bombs. I, yeah, I want to say Westworld, but it's not Westworld. That's... Yeah, we talked about it last week or two weeks ago. It's the one with those guys and that yeah, it's those guys. Canadian actress. And, and that show. And, and that, uh, that guy show. from Justified. Yes, that is the one. Timothy Oliphant. That's the one. Ugh, why can none cold, of us... Cold, cold, dead. Deadwood. Deadwood. There you I got go. It. Ding, well ding, done. I win. Bingo. Tim, Tim wins the prize. Yeah. All right. Well, you can edit all that out. (laughs) We'll cut back to Deadwood, which was a great series. It played for three seasons. It had a really loyal following, and then they canceled it, and the fans were outraged. But at least, you know, it was years later, but they they gave Mm -hmm. it a movie to try and sort of at least give people that closure. Maybe, maybe down the road, they'll decide that, you know, there's there's enough love, or maybe the the algorithm will show them that there's still people watching this stuff, although why you'd watch something if you know it doesn't have a satisfying ending, I don't know. Uh, Maybe they'll do a movie, or maybe they'll do an animated version, or maybe they'll do something else to wrap these stories up. But man, I tell you, as a fan, it's it makes it really hard to want to invest in anything new. Like, it really does kind of bum you out when they're like, hey, remember that thing you love? We're bringing it back. You're like, yeah, I love that thing. Let's totally watch it. And then they're like, yeah, um, by the way, look over there. Wait, it's gone. What? Yeah. And, and I totally know what you mean about the dollhouse thing where it felt like, you know, normally when we say hold my beer moments on this show, it's because, you know, something happens in like the first, uh, sorry, the, the second to last or last episode where we think they couldn't possibly wrap this up. And by golly, they, they find a way. Dollhouse's yep. season two did feel like a season long hold my beer, which I guess would strike people as weird. But it's like, hey, what if you took something like Lord of the Rings and somebody said, hey, so the budget got cut. Yeah. What do we got now? Uh, 
you have a you have a 20 minute holiday special go i was like what <laughs> the entirety yeah. of lord of the rings in one 20 minute special I was like yeah that's what dollhouse felt like it felt like you had at least one more season worth that got squished into uh into a single season yeah for sure it you know again is it better to get something than nothing though yeah yeah at least it, at least you see you know you can kind of fill in the dots yourself of like oh this is where there there could have been you know maybe comic books or novels or something to fill in of like oh how did we get from point a to point b because kind of takes a wild turn halfway through yeah what what they should have done is uh is basically put comic books in between because they were trying to essentially do like five seasons worth of episodes and 13 episodes for season two of dollhouse so maybe that would have been a better way to go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. read read the, read this in between uh, there was a comic book, but no, I'm just saying they, they probably could have done something to fill in the blanks because they were just trying to shoehorn too much in that last season. So, All right, Jaime, here's with, with some Canadian content. <laughs> it's funny. I was going to mention that this is for the Canadians um, and weirdly sort of, uh, you know, crosses over. I into... mean, I still know people who use these devices, so just for reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, there's, there's definitely holdouts and fans for uh, the BlackBerry movie about the the making of the (laughs) devices and they went from like you know scrappy little startup to taking over the world to seeing uh the end of their world coming got uh jay uh, how's his name pronounced baruchel 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 yeah yeah. thank you montreal own yep and glenn howerton um Mm. coming out in this movie so it looks looks cool i'm definitely keen on these sorts of things like uh you know hbo no uh sorry hulu's the dropout and uh, we crashed and uh was it super pumped i don't know where that stars but that's on about uber this one rounding things out comes out as uh as blackberry i'm a little surprised this is a seems like it's in theaters kind of movie coming out on uh may 12th instead of being uh like on amazon in the theaters yeah instead of being on amazon or hulu or something where like you know, it, it fits more in that... Uh, well, BlackBerry's got to make their money back somehow, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't quite get it. Like, I, yes, there is stuff like the, sh- the social network that, that came out in theaters, but this feels more like, um, you know, Pirates of Silicon Valley. It's like, oh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Is it... Is it Pirates of Silicon Valley appeal? was in the theaters. Was it in the theaters? Pirates I, of I thought it was Valley. just... Uh, yeah. uh, oh, no, I saw it in the theaters. TV. Oh, all right. Take it back then. No. It was in the theaters. Oh, I mean, you got to see. You have to see the Bill Gates. You know, uh, Anthony Michael Hall as Bill Gates on the big screen with a giant head. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that keynote. But and we were all looking at it, Bill Gates, going, "Why are you even here?" But <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. Yeah. So coming out you know, soon. It's interesting. A friend of mine, you know, our mutual friend Steve Elfig, um, John, does work for Mike Lazaridis, who's one of the. I, I don't know if he's the. The. I don't think he's one of the. Was he one of the inventors? I'm just trying to figure out because there's three characters. There's the Jay Baruchel character, um, and then there's the the hippie character, and then there's like this angel investor guy who looks like Kevin O'Leary in the in the portrayal in the movie. Um, I don't know. I don't really know much about other than the fact that it was two like like anything else. It was two founders, but obviously there was a third money guy, right? Yeah, who became the C C T O? I guess CEO. 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 Oh, here it says. Uh, no, just I'm looking through the Wikipedia page to try and get some history on BlackBerry. We've we've all tried to score BlackBerry from our memories, you know. That's the reality. But <laughs> yeah, came out of Waterloo, Waterloo, Ontario. Research in motion. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of like there's there's a really good compact movie on 
Netflix, which is about the history of Compaq, which is which mirrors the Halt and Catch Fire story um, about the you know the first people who made the first PC knockoff. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of couple of movies like that, and like you said, or said the Pirates of Silicon Valley, right? Um, with Noah Wiley and uh, Anthony McCall playing Jobs and and uh, Bill Gates, right? So yeah, interesting. I mean, it's weird. To th- it's weird for me to think of this as history. <laughs> you know, I mean, you and I think of it as history because it's our, the industry we're in. But like, why would other people care? Kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I gotta admit, I am. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not. Have you never. This, I'm not. Never had a one. BlackBerry, right? Never had a BlackBerry. I had a BlackBerry for about five seconds when I was doing some work for uh, the provincial government, and I was like, "What the heck?" Well, that was <laughs> on, on the way out, right? Yeah, yeah, on the way out. Yeah, yeah. No, I had a I had a BlackBerry when when I got my first iPhone, and so I was using the BlackBerry as my day device, and the iPhone was my my you know playing around in the evening device, and then and then I made the decision to just okay stop using the BlackBerry, and and there was like. Like it was like we called them crackberries because they were you became very dependent on them like like people are today with their iPhones and their Android devices right but like my my leg sometimes still twitches as if as if the BlackBerry vibrator is going off you know just like sympathetic pains right how about you Jaime did you have a BlackBerry I did not I I did uh, use other folks's BlackBerry to, to try it out like HTC know? or something like that or um, no I I didn't I didn't own a smartphone prior to the iPhone, but you know, Tim, thinking about mm. this, this sort of stuff is history. So, if if what I presume to be near the end of the movie, just given the timeline, I assume that they're going to go with. If the iPhone is getting announced in 2007, yeah. Well, if you do the math, if somebody was born like right at the second that Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, right around now, they'd be able to drive a vehicle. <laughs> be 16 years old. They go from not existing to, uh, you know, hurtling around the metropolis in 2,000 pounds worth of steel. Has it been 16 years? 2023 minus uh, 2007. 2007, yeah, July 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. History, man. Interesting. It's history. It's officially history now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we were talking about video games at work today or the, yesterday because of we just passed Mario Day, right? Which is March tenth. Mm-hmm. Um, had to explain that to some few people, but um, we were talking about the first games that you ever played, and um, I remember playing Pong for the first time in bowling alley, and then shortly after that, um, Space Invaders, and then a few months after that, Pac Man came out. So, and that was like the old stand up machines you you had to pop quarters into them. So yeah, because we were all talking about you know our favorite games when we were kids, kind of thing. So what was your favorite game when you were a kid? What was your favorite game now? Video game, I mean. Uh, in in like any category, are we talking home? Are we talking arcades or yeah, just general yeah, home whatever. Video game period. Yeah, video game period. I think there's a lot of replay value out of uh, Super Mario Brothers three because it's got mm-hmm. you know pretty classic you know Mario two D platforming. But also, you know, when you've got family members, in my case, I have cousins, you can do the you know, combat mode type stuff, competitive type stuff. It's, it's semi-collaborative, but you, you control the heck out of each other. So it's kind of the best sort of thing for families of like helping each other, but also griefing each other if you want to. I'm getting real upset about that. So a lot of, a lot of good times with that one. How about you, Jonathan? What's your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite game as a kid? And what's your favorite game now? Oh. Uh, well, as you know, I'm, 
avid and long time. I think the all time is probably still NHL ninety four. I mean, man, if you could if you could burn out a cartridge, I would have burned that thing out. Uh, mm. You know, hockey is just so central to life up here in the Great White North and beyond that. It's playing the video games was such a social activity, especially when there was less options for for kids. And so we played that game so much, like just played it into the ground. And, and, you know, I got so good at it that I could score like a hundred goals in a game. Like it was ridiculous. Like (laughs) it was, I I actually have a picture somewhere. I took it, I put it on like the maximum setting for like the most time that you could play. And it's like, you know, it, it runs faster than real time, but it's, it's still quite a while. And I played a full game and I think I scored like 140 goals. Like it was, it was comedic, but I just kind of wanted to see how many you could score in a game because there was this one play you could do the inside outside move on the goal and you could score every time. (laughs) So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so that's an all timer for me. That's Uh, the Mario move, right? That's the Mario move. Yeah. Up, up, left, up, up, down, down. You got to do the Konami code. Um, okay. No, it's, uh, yeah, I mean that. And Sonic, you know, I, I was a big, uh, I was a big Sega guy back in the day when Sega was producing consoles. So Sonic was always yeah. a, a favorite. Uh, didn't didn't own a Nintendo uh, really until until I had kids. Or I guess I had a Game Boy. That, that's probably about as close as it came. Now, oh boy, I mean, probably the most f- engaged I've been in games is the is the Arkham series, the Batman Arkham games. Mm-hmm. Um, Particularly the first two, the, the Arkham Asylum and, and Arkham City, those were just, uh, I mean, they're, they're just fun, good Batman stories. And also you get to be Batman and the idea, because they were like, you know, it's like Grand Theft Auto, but Batman, you've got a whole city that you can explore and do things in and have all these missions and fight, fight all the bad guys. And, and it's written by Paul Dini, who I, I am a big fan of, and I've had a chance to meet and interview and stuff. And he's just a talented writer. So it's actually a really well-written game as well, which, I mean, that's what people love about The, the Last of Us. It's just really well-written too, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that's probably the game that I would say that I enjoyed the most of are those Arkham games and that I would go back and, and definitely could find a lot of replay value in them just because they're so well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot we we played all the Sonics all the way through from Master System to Genesis, right? Yep. To the end. Yep. Yes, sir. Okay, well, let's move on to the main part of the show, which is to talk about something Star Trek. And this week, again, we're doing Star Trek Picard. And this week is called Imposter, Season 3, Episode 5. And so we'll start off with our... My elevator pitch is, you killed Kenny! <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> yeah twice they killed kenny twice yeah and one time it stuck yeah well to be fair the other time it stuck too just yeah, yeah different way it's stuck in a different kind of way yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah what's your what's your pitch my pitch was because they keep saying it trust no one unless yes. of course they were on tng in which case it's fine to trust them oh yeah yeah that's true <laughs> yeah because it was it was it was questionable there for a while with with ensign row they, they they sort of teased us with all the bits and pieces right um but, uh, Jaime, what was your pitch? Pretty, pretty close in the same flavor of keep your friends close and your enemies closer, especially if they become your friends again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. So this was a, uh, twisty, turny, uh, episode. You really weren't sure 
who was who. They and, and that's kind of what they've introduced with this whole changeling as the bad guy stuff is is you know we, we knew that there was in the in the last couple episodes there's been this whole sort of changeling thing, but now you know it's who can you trust? You know, is everybody what they seem to be? So you're right. Yeah, when when uh, we get Michelle Forbes return as as Ensign Rolaren, you know, cool moment. You're like, man, it's Michelle Forbes, who, by the way, at 58 looks fine. Uh, mm. And she comes in and she's, you know, she's there and she's got her stern Bajoran nose piece on. And and you're like, OK, so is this a, a changeling? And you're probably supposed to suspect. But then, you know, you, you hope that it isn't because you really love that character. And. And, you know, they keep popping back and forth between Raffi and, and Worf's story, and then what's going on with Jack Crusher, and, you know, they're scouring the ship, and they're moving people off, and you're just like, yeah, like, who who's for real and who's not? That was a, it worked really well, it was really effective in this episode to really sort of put you ill at ease. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. I mean, and it, I mean, it could have also been, like, the red door, like, what's behind the red door is sort of the... Thing. But it was interesting, too, that they did the three-story arc. So last, you know, the this is the fourth episode. Um, no, it's the fifth episode. This Wait, f- five, out, five out of ten. Yeah, this is the, the halfway uh, point. Moving into the best pew-pew-pew category. Um, I had Rolaren's, uh, Rolaren's Last Hurrah. That's kind of a, you know, if a character is going to go out, uh, kind, of, kind of a cool way to do it, to sacrifice yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah spoilers for people who haven't seen the show, but... Um, yeah, that was kind of kind of interesting. Like, you know, we had one one character meet their demise, but it was sort of the Chewbacca death where dead but not really dead, you know? Um, you know, having practiced his his I don't know, culinar, what was the, the the term he used? Oh, Kalos, I think he said. Yeah. Yeah, Kalos, yes, right. Yeah, the the breathing exercise where he can stop his heart or seem to stop his heart because because the guy said you were dead and he pops up and not dead, just very hurt. Right, right. Which, in in my case, I kind of suspected that it was part of his ploy because they've been setting him up as like a you know Zen master, yoga master, very calm and collected, as opposed to Rafi, who's a little bit more raw and pure anger, the way that Worf was when we saw him many years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like, no, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think they're gonna end the character this way. I kind of feel like it's part of his ruse and. And I, I had thought for sure that somehow, you know, uh, redundant organs and Klingon bodies was going to take part of it, but they, they didn't go that direction. I had the same pew 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 as Jonathan. Yeah, it's the scene at towards the end where Jack Crusher, who's been having these visions through the whole episode, that's the whole episode starts with him having this vision of murdering everyone on the bridge. Later on, he has a vision about murdering a transporter chief. And then he has this scene where he's being, uh, it, he encounters these, Star Trek security officers or Starfleet security officers, and he thinks theoretically we're supposed to think, oh, he knows they're changelings, and he did, he basically he suddenly goes into like psycho killer mode and just just absolutely destroys these four people mercilessly and just like absolutely kills them uh, in in horrifying ways. And we're supposed to think, well, he knew they were changelings, but then he confesses uh, a few scenes later to his mom, uh, Doctor Crusher, that he didn't. He, he, as far as he knew, they were Starfleet, which is pretty messed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that scene, that confession, I should say, did sort of vaguely remind me at the time of, I think it's one of the Simpsons Halloween episodes where it's like zombie apocalypse and Homer 
kills zombie Ned Flanders and yeah. the kids say, Dad, how did you know Ned Flanders was a zombie? Flanders <laughs> was a zombie? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I guess they're they're leading that to and um, building up to another plot line where and his mother says at the end of it, you're you're obviously not yourself or you're you're exhibiting signs that she knows about that we we're supposed to assume means something other later. Yeah, I, I think it's it's funny because that was sort of the the talking point we had in last week's episode was you know the episode ends with Jack hearing these voices and you know we see that vision of the door. Here we've got another full episode and we're no closer to really understanding what's going on. Like the visions are getting stronger, we've seen more detail, but we're really we're really no closer to figuring that out. So that I mean that ended up being my big question was you know what what could possibly be behind quote the red door that that he keeps having in his vision. It better be good if they've been building it up like this. Like this is the third straight episode where we've seen him have these sort of visions, and they're kind of they're kind of milking it a little bit. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like we're, we, we, I guess we saw a bit of a red door imagery last week, and then we obviously saw the, I guess the, I don't know what you call it, the the, the bulkhead door. Yeah, he envisioned as sort of a red wooden door, and then then realizes it's just just the door. But yeah, that's that's so. There's something coming. Oh, I was going to say that, that leads into to what my big question was, which is, uh, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, but maybe not that far away uh, from the truth of like, is Jack Crusher not the love child of Beverly and John Luke, but actually the love child of John Wick and Vecna from Stranger Things? Because it's kind of <laughs> kind of got that vibe from what like what happened here in this episode. He went all John Wick on those uh, those turns out to be changeling people, and then he's got the weird like. Yeah. tendril red door thing that like really reminds me of, of Vecna from uh, uh, from Stranger Things most recent season. Hmm. Yeah, I do wonder, like, again, they did a good job with that whole sort of who can you trust thing, because even there was at one point where she, just the way that uh, that Gates McFadden phrased one of the questions to Jack made it sound like maybe she was not necessarily who she appeared to be or something. I don't know who else, you know, again, I don't, I'm starting to think that that whole, you know, the statue at the beginning of, of episode one tying into the Enterprise C and stuff is, was a red herring. But I'm just trying to think, is there's like some weird, like alternate, you know, uh, universe something like is, what else can they, what else can they throw in here? Like, we, again, we know we're going to get uh, a Brent Spiner appearance. We've seen in the trailers, we're going to get a Moriarty uh, moment why i'm not sure that one is still really kind of vexing me i don't know how that fits into this story uh as i said you know in previous episodes i i i really hope they can stick the landing on this it's been great so far it's been really really fun this is a good story and lots of twists and turns you know lots of you know character returns and and very satisfying ways um although i i think the captain uh captain shaw is my favorite character because he was mm-hmm. killing it in this episode <laughs> some of his his zingers against the two of them where he started like listing off their misadventures and was, you know, uh, I think I have one of the quotes was, you know, as a courtesy because of the harrowing ordeal, we all just survived together. I'm going to step outside. This is the three of you can get your BS story straight. Like he was, <laughs> he was killing it. Yeah. Well, you had that for your big question, the red door, the red door. Yeah. Well, like what could it be? You know, is this, is this, you know, he was, you know, taken in when he was in London, doing his studying and picking up his accent. Did he get some sort of, you know, ninjutsu training or like what? How do they explain this? Yeah. And also, since we didn't know 
who was who was a a changeling i mean we we're assuming he's not right but you know because because the voice he keeps hearing is his mother's like that's what they Mm -hmm. it's it gates mcfadden you can see on the um on the subtitles that it was her voice Mm -hmm. saying find me you know i hear you i don't forget what she said but she said it find me last time and she said it again this time and there was something else she had said in the in the in one of his delusions right so so the question is like, what's his origin story or like, what's his, you know, augmentation or whatever? That's the big question, right? And the other thing is that they revealed in this one is, you know, we, we were wondering about the changelings because the changelings weren't behaving like changelings were before. And, yeah. you know, we get the autopsy in this one where they're like, hey, these aren't the changelings that they were before or they're, they're evolving or something. They have well, to- they made a big point of the fact that the, the, Everybody gets scanned when they come on board because of the whole Dominion War thing, right? And, yeah. And even the transporters can recognize, you know, um, while they're going there, right? Interesting that Ensign Road doesn't trust the... Uh, I was expecting that you know, it's almost like Bones, Bones McCoy who didn't trust the transporters when Ensign Road, or not Ensign Road, Commander Rowe comes uh, aboard via shuttle, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it was like a good convenience because I'm sure we were all going, wait a minute, like we did last week. Like, why weren't they sort of that liquidy gold that they used to be? Right. And yeah. And at the very beginning of the episode, Dr. Crusher says, you know, they're usually just on the surface looking like humans, but not beneath. Right. Yeah. And they revert. Right. When they die in, in DS9, when they die, they would go back to goo. Right. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know if we did, we did we talk about this last week. I know you mentioned uh, Odo last week, but apparently there was a picture of Odo near the bucket when they found, when she finds the bucket. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I yeah, did no, not I see that on IMDb. Yeah. I have to go back and check it out. I did, uh, for my Easter egg for this one, I did catch that they had, uh, when Worf is trying to figure out where they can go next to figure out how to, you know, get, get the, the angle towards getting into Daystrom. He calls up the list of criminals and he starts talking about Crin, uh, the the bad guy that they end up fighting, the Vulcan yeah. bad guy. But on the screen, there's a whole list of other names, and on that list are Morn and Akona. So Morn yeah. from DS9 and Akona, of course, from T- from TNG, and also most recently from Lower Decks. I thought it was a nice little, you know, it's nice to know those guys are working. Yeah, and since you mentioned Crin, this is kind of a not really an Easter egg, but. Um, I, I haven't, like, I, apparently he was an actor in, in um, Band of Brothers again, <laughs> which we talked about last week. Uh, and quite a few actors were actually in that, that series, that, so I'll have to go back and watch that at some point. But uh, the actor, uh, Kirk Acevedo, um, was also, he was like, sorry, he was a nemesis in 12 Monkeys. Uh, he played Jose. Jose and James Cole are the two guys that go back and forth in the movie and but in the show they have quite a you know they, they become sort of nemesis they're pals at the beginning of the series and then they become nemesis as, as the episode go as, as the episodes go and they mention that crin and sneed were friends right so aaron stafford played sneed last two weeks ago and crin played was played by kirk i'm kirk unpronounceable um <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, interesting that they had that sort of Twelve Monkeys Canadian production. Uh, he's not Canadian, by the way. He's from Bronx, but um, or New York. Uh, but yeah, an interesting connection with Twelve Monkeys. Hmm. So maybe there's maybe there's a showrunner or producer or casting director connected somehow. Knows these guys. Cool. Let's get to the quotes. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. I, I, I obviously read the first one. 
Um, yeah, there, <laughs> there was definitely a few, you know, very ominous ones. Starfleet's compromised at its highest levels was, was Rose line. Um, they're coming for us. Who exactly everyone? That was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty ominous line. I, I did like the wharf lines when, when he gets stabbed and says, today was a good day to die. If that's not your last line as, as wharf, man, I don't, I don't want to know what is like, that was, that was so perfect. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the villain Kryn says, you know, oh, Klingons never disappoint before they have that fight. And then when, when he sneaks up behind him after he's killed everybody and, and says Klingons never disappoint, and he re- re- repeats the line. That was very funny. Um, yeah. Well, he I, also said, before, as the battle started, he said to, um, to, um, what's her name? Rafi. Rafi. Says to Rafi, um, don't hold back, don't hold back because I can't. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That felt like uh, like stage fighting, though. You know, that's, that's something you say when you're when you're putting on a good show. Mm. Oh, you think? Well, because they were right. They they were they were putting on the show. Like she knew to where to stab him, and apparently uh, right. stabbed him a little too hard. But gotcha. Yeah. So halfway through, I, I I'm in. Like this has been very good. I'm enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know it still feels like there's a lot of, you know, it's funny, Jaime, you were just talking about that hold my beer moments, right? Like they still got five episodes. That's a long runway, but uh, there's a lot going on. You know, they talked to, they, they brought back frontier day once again, which is something we talked yeah. about in the early episode, you know, get your chaps ready. Yeah. We now know that, you know, uh, Rafi was working for Worf. Worf was working for Roe. Roe is now given all his, uh, all her information to, uh, Picard and Riker, so you know we're we're making some headway there. But uh, yeah, like I say, we still haven't seen Jordy. We still haven't seen uh, whatever it is Brent Spiner is. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll get more Marina Sirtis as Deanna before this is over because we've seen her for mm. like five seconds. I did laugh out loud when uh, <laughs> when Shaw made the pl- the joke about crashing the saucer section of the Enterprise into yes. <laughs> right. a planet. That's, I would just, I would have given everything to have Riker say that was the wife's fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his decision to, to separate the, the dishes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Frickin', frickin' wife can't drive. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, they keep going back to the hologram or the holodeck, right? So I think that may be why we're going to see Moriarty in, in an upcoming episode. Because this is what, the third episode they've gone back to the holodeck? Yeah. You know, because... Where Roe wants to have the private conversation, like, let's step into my office, and yeah, turns out to be Guinan's again. Did you guys buy, uh, you know, I I felt like the Picard-Roe animosity felt a little contrived. You know? You think? Or you mean, oh, oh initially? Just, well, the fact that he was supposed to be so, like, you know, it's been 30 years, right? He's still supposed to be, like, devastated that she betrayed... Starfleet and him and the you know, like it just felt a little over becoming a marquee yeah mm-hmm. it, it felt a little overwrought mm. like yeah, I don't know I don't know I mean I just it it felt like it was a fresh wound the way he was talking about it this is something that happened thirty years ago I don't know yeah I I, I can agree with that that uh, unless you like head cannon into it that this just really stuck in his craw as a as a you know follow the rules kind of person that. Uh, you know, he's been obsessing over it for 30 years. Uh, I always thought the Maquis was a way of introducing the, the the Voyager characters, like Tom Paris and Chakotay, having been Maquis, right? And wasn't um, the Vulcan the Maquis as well? 
Oh, uh, no, because he was undercover, right? Tuvok. Yeah. But he was un- Maquis undercover, though, right? Yeah, yeah. He was undercover with the Maquis. Because that was around that time when, when, when uh, Voyager spun out that, that um, Roe became a Maquis. Yeah. Yeah. Good show. Looking forward to it. Shall we move on to The Convert? Yes. Sure. Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, Chapter 19, The Convert. What's your elevator pitch? My elevator pitch was sometimes it's better to go with the flow than swim against the tide. And that applies to everyone in this episode. Right. Mine was, it's a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Or or be careful who you step on. I was talking about the the doctor part of the story, the the A plot, I guess. A, B plot? I'm not sure which plot it was. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard to say how that was. Was that the A plot or the B plot in this one? They spent an awful lot of time with that doctor. Yeah, so so catch me up. Do you guys remember? I remember the girl from the Mandalorian previous season, but I don't remember him per se. I mean, he looked familiar. Yeah, so he's the one who he's he's the the client, right? And so when the Mandalorian goes to get Grogu and brings him back, it's Doctor Pershing who's the one who put up the money on behalf of Moff Gideon because uh, okay. he's the one doing the cloning. He's the actual scientist, right? But. And then we see him, I guess, later on at, like, a cloning facility. I guess we're supposed to infer that he was on Gideon's ship and is captured as part of that whole end of season two. And now he's going through this rehab program. So what do you think about, what do you think her motivation for, is she just a nasty person or she's not really reform, re- reformed or, uh, yeah, uh, like, why, I, I why did she turn on him? And did he, did he like, you know, snub her on the ship or something back in Moth Gideon's ship? Uh, well, so the one line that's kind of a throwaway in there is when they're sitting around and they're having a drink after his sort of, uh, his speech, they're sitting around having a drink. And one of them says, I hear Gideon escaped and on his way to his tribunal. And so my guess would be she's still loyal to Gideon. Gideon doesn't want Pershing for some reason to be in the picture because maybe he knows too much. Because I I assume the idea is that Pershing would be a danger to him because Pershing knows the insides of what the cloning program was. Like Pershing thinks thinks what he was doing was trying to basically like splice together DNA to improve, you know, certain attributes and everything else. What the big picture is, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, is, you know, obviously they're trying to maximize the force potential of somebody and and make them into the ultimate Jedi body for for Palpatine to inhabit, right? So my guess is Gideon is tying up loose ends, and so basically they found a way to to do this. Although, again, why wouldn't you just push him off the platform? Like, it just seems like the long way around, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird the way she sort of like, hey, you, you know, like she put like the stories or I guess the story she tells the the good guys is that, you know, she was just leading him on to to catch him in the act or set him up or whatever. Or... Yeah. But again, like, why do they need to go to all the effort that they did mm-hmm. to, to the point where he's actually in not not only like is he like he gets into the lab and then they get she helps him get out of the lab. Like it just it seems really, really weirdly convoluted. I must admit, I it. it I'm sure it ties into the larger plot, and we'll probably learn more. But in this, for this particular moment, this was not. I mean, it was a well-told story, and it's Star Wars, and that's good. But there wasn't a lot of there there. Mm-hmm. 
I was much more interested in the in the Bo-Katan. How's Bo-Katan going to deal with meeting the armorer and and sort of being back amongst Mandalorians? And that that was holding my attention a lot more than than than, than this other part. And the fact that she's redeemed by by um, bathing in the in the living waters, right? Yeah, it's it's so yeah. funny though the way the way that they sort of she basically accidentally was redeemed. Yeah. So my best pew 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 was the was the battle with the tie interceptors. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. uh, one of the better Star Wars space fighter fights I've seen in a long time. Yeah, for sure. And her, her line when she's uh, when she's flying around saying, "Don't worry, I grew up flying these cliffs." Of course, it's been a while when she like nicks the edge of one of them. She does manage to lose one of the one of the, the ties in there or yeah. the interceptors in there. Well, and it's it's. A kind of a cool scene too, because the interceptors were introduced in Return of the Jedi, but we really never saw them do anything different than a Tie Fighter does. They looked cool because mm-hmm. they had the angled wings and stuff like that, but we never really got that they are in any way different than a Tie Fighter. This is the first time where you could even tell from the way that Dinjarin's talking, and he sort of says, "You know, like these guys are nasty. These are nasty businesses. These are very fast, very deadly ships, and you know, don't take them lightly." And then when we see them dogfighting, like they're not. They're not bad. They're they're not bad at their jobs. Tie fighter pilots kind of always looked a little bad at their jobs. These guys look really good at their jobs. Yeah. That being said, they all die. That's true. It's true. How many did you have anything different for your pew pew pew? No, my pew 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 was the the same one. Cool. I didn't see much in the way of Easter eggs. I did. They were talking. They were making jokes about the days of the week at one point, and they said Happy Bendu's Day as as the first one, and. That one only caught my ear just because Bendu is is one of the characters in Rebels, right? That's the giant, huge, uh, sort of living mass of a creature that that uh, that Kanan Jarrus ends up having, in a sort of a he's a force sensitive creature that that Kanan ends up interacting with, right? That huge, monstrous uh, guy with a really deep voice. Oh yeah, hmm. but I yeah, again, I wondered about that when I saw it, but because I, I couldn't didn't think of any reference to that. But but the other the other one was to me was a bit of an Easter egg was was. When she says that they've taken down all the cogwheels, which are the Imperial logos, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of an Easter egg. Because yeah, I noticed that the buildings had the rebel insignia on it, yeah. on them now. It was cool to to actually get a little bit of time on the surface of Coruscant. Obviously, we've had that in, in mm-hmm. series like Andor. We've seen a little bit of it in the movies. But this was the first time we saw it from like a positive way like we've seen it in rebels we've seen it in in clone wars and stuff like that but it's always like it's been in a time of war it's been in a time of darkness we've never really seen it as like people walking around eating ice cream you know pet, trying not to pet the mountain you know it just it was a very different kind of you know the post return of the jedi world of coruscant was it was interesting to actually be there and see that and spend some time there too. Yeah, it was interesting. We should have seen the setup coming when she gets him. She says, "Go, go touch the the peak." Yeah. You know, go touch the, the and and he gets in trouble for doing that, right? Yeah, like that was kind of the the, the foreshadowing the setup. Right? What are you doing, fool? She said, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. Oh, for my Easter egg, I I picked up on the term that they used for um, Coruscant, and it's it's not a term that they made up, but I had not heard this term before, so I learned today. Ecumenopolis, which is a yeah, uh, but, but like a city planet, a planet yeah. that is uh, so consumed by city, as as they showed here, that like the top of the the tallest mountain is the only planet actual feature you could see that's pure planet, and it apparently is mm. uh, according to Wikipedia here is a 
term invented way back in 1967 by a Greek city planner, saying that hmm. that the, the, the metropolis is becoming megalopolises would eventually fuse. Which you know we've sort of seen that concept of megalopolises, like in uh, Judge Dredd and stuff. There's only like five major cities, and I guess if you continue fusing cities across an entire planet, you get an ecumenopolis. E C U M E N O P O L I S. Hmm. Yeah. I thought it was something they made up, and I Googled it and said, no, it's a legit thing. They did not make it up for the show. Oh, nothing better when sci-fi teaches you a lesson. I learned, yeah. and now, since I spelled it out, if you see that in the spelling bee, kiddos, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so for the, for the quotes, the, uh, he's being uh, examined or, or, or re- rehabilitated by a bunch of Mon Calamares. At one point, he, says to the, he turns and looks at the one Mon Calamari and says, it was a trap. <laughs> and uh, and the Mon Calamari flinched for a second. I don't know if you saw that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a nice. That's almost an Easter egg in itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine were more sort of on the ominous side. You know, the the ethics of cloning are complicated. Um, you know, the person talking to himself in the mirror. You're helping the New Republic. It's the right thing to do. It, it's interesting, you know. Yeah, I, I'll be curious to see as the next couple episodes play out what Pershing's if we get more clarity on Pershing's motivation or, or particularly why Kane, the, uh, the woman uh, officer, former officer mm-hmm. uh, who betrayed him as we start to get news on that, it, was it to silence him or was it that, you know, the potential was that he was going to, you know, do good in the Republic and, and Gideon wasn't having that either. So it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. I also, I'm very curious. Uh, the other question that I sort of had was I had two big questions. One, the line from Bo-Katan when they sort of, have the big dog fight and they they take out the four or five uh five or six i guess of the tie interceptors and then they all of a sudden they see the explosions and they realize the tie bombers are blowing up her castle which is a shame because she looks so good on that throne but at, then you see the incoming forces and you just see this huge wave of tie interceptors coming and again this is in the post-imperial era and she says that's a lot of ships for an imperial warlord so it does make me wonder you know like why was she being targeted? What what is the rationale there? What what did she do specifically that they thought they should go to this planet and bomb her out? Mm-hmm. But the, the bigger one I had was so you know at the beginning of the episode, obviously the big bomb last week was that you know Bo goes down to save Jin uh, Jinjarin from the bottom of the the living waters and sees the Mythosaur, and then in this episode she reveals the the living waters weren't always that deep that the bombing must have opened up you know, a channel into, you know, what was below, far below the surface of the planet. So it made, it made me wonder, you know, she knows about the mythosaur. She knows how that ties into the mythology. She knows that that's a big deal for the, the children of the watch, that the, the mythosaur rising will, uh, the, the, the mythos is that the mythosaur rising will herald a new era of, of the Mandalorians. I wonder how long she's going to keep that one to herself. Mm-hmm. She explicitly says in this episode, you know, did you see anything down there? And he's like, mm, it was dark. Yeah. The, uh, the mythosaurus, which is an interesting name to give that as a mythosaurus and it's a eternal rival legendosaurus Rex as the, as the best one. So besides the name, it was kind of cool to see it sort of chilling down there. Like take your pick, uh, you know, Godzilla hanging out underneath the water for, you know, his slumber or Cthulhu in even further mythology. 
kind of hanging out down there. So long that nobody had even bothered to check or even believe that uh, Nessie was actually down in the bottom of the lake. What, what's the, what's the Star, Star Wars line for this one, Tim? There's always a bigger fish. Always a bigger <laughs> yeah. fish. That's true. Yes, siri Bob. Right. Bad Batch? Bad Batch. Bad Batch. Pabu. Yeah. Episode 2, Season 2, Episode 13. Mm, getting of 19? 19 episodes? Uh, I think it's 16. Oh, 16. Oh, okay. So I think next ago. week is a, is a single episode with the last single episode, and I think it's a two-part finale on the, the 29th. So, elevator pitch, Clone Force 99 learns the hard way that if you wait long enough, the other shoe always drops. Because they go to this beautiful, idyllic planet. It's gorgeous. They're like, this is great. We're going to stay here. This is so nice. You can't say stuff like that. You just can't. You can't say stuff like that. Of course it's going to bite them in the butt. Of course it is. And sure enough, it does. Because they get tsunamied. And it turns out it happens all the time, and yet they're not prepared for it? Yeah, although he did say it was like it had been 20 years since the last one, right? Okay, right. So I guess it, it's happened before, but not for a while. So they were like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> I love the line. The volcano. I yeah. love the line where he says, it's the mayor says, uh, it can't be that bad. If it was that bad, then the sirens would go off. And then the sirens start going off. I'm like, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's why you never say stuff like that. Yeah. How about now? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was okay episode. It, you know, obviously... They're kind of building that continuing, well, you know, things with Sid have gone south and, you know, they need to find a new place. And, it, you know, in this one, they obviously they come to this planet, they help save the people, and then they suddenly find themselves with a new home. Yeah, it was fine. It was nothing really special or anything great to write a home about. My best pew 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 is almost a big question. I didn't turn it into one, but my best pew 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 was a bar fight. Where you have intentionally brought a small child as a yeah yeah as a thing, I'm like question marks is the big the big question there of like yeah I guess they the batch sort of feels that uh, you know she she's got to learn and she, no better time than to learn young but it still feels a little little awkward a little dangerous a little ch- child abuse is the word you're looking for yeah, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. exactly I uh, I did have the big question for this one because I hate it when cartoons particularly are very guilty of this it's the part where omega and and liana the mayor's daughter are out in the boat watching the sunset and of course you know the earthquake comes and then that's going to trigger the tsunami and they're trying to get back and so the water's withdrawing and they're like well we have to get off the boat it's going to crash into the rocks and they jump off the boat into the newly exposed newly exposed floor of the ocean and they jump into it, and then they get up, and they start running away, and there's not a drop of anything on them. No water, no it's mud. It's not mucky. No, yeah, they're exactly. not, like, slogging through. Like, that was the ocean floor. Like, it just... Uh, I know it's a cartoon. I know there's a suspension of disbelief, but that was just... Uh, that just felt like a big, glaring, you know, someone probably could have done a better job with that one kind of moment. You know, obviously, it's more dramatic if they're running fast, but, like... If that was the ocean floor a second ago, you're not running fast. Yeah. Like, it almost would have been more dramatic to have them be like, oh, it's like quicksand, we're stuck, you have to save us, Hunter, you know, do something different. Like, it just felt very uh, illogical. Or how about, you know, letting, like, a 10 or 11-year-old, you know, pilot a boat by herself with another 10 or (laughs) 11-year-old? Who we don't even know can swim? In fairness, that that other 11-year-old was just in a bar fight, so, you know, it's all worked out. And she carries her own little laser uh, laser bow, right? That's right. That's right. 
good luck firing that laser bow with the tsunami coming at you. True. True. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think this felt like the last of the, you know, we have a certain number of episodes to get through episodes and we got to advance the plot slightly so they find this new place. But it really feels like, you know, we're getting a two-part finale coming up in two weeks. I'm sure the the one leading into that will probably have a little more drama to it. But uh, yeah, this this oh, in the end, this might have been one of the weaker episodes of the, the season so far. Hmm. I mean, anything else about this? I didn't really have any. I, I admit that I was a little distracted during this one, possibly because it probably w- was one of the more lackluster episodes of the series. I do enjoy the series. I just didn't I didn't click with this episode. Yeah. Yeah, it was an odd sort of thing. Cool. All right. Spoilers, everybody. We're going to talk about the finale of season one of The Last of Us, episode nine, Look for the Light. What was that in reference to the title? Fireflies. The Fireflies. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's the end of their little... Because the, the first episode was was uh, when when it's darkest. Oh, Look for the Light, right. Uh, you know, elevator pitch for this one was pretty simple. It can't all be for nothing, or can it? <laughs> yes, it can. Yeah. Yeah, and you had, you had teased that last week. Obviously, you you you've played the game to its completion, which I have not yet done. Uh, that this was going to be one of those deeply divisive uh, episodes, and it, it certainly was. I've seen a lot of people talking about it online with very strong opinions about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. So, um, any other elevator pitches that uh, we want to get out before we get into a discussion? No, I mean, well, the one the one thing though I, I will say though is like there the scenes like where he's walking up to the operating room is literally like a cutscene from like it, it's the same same thing and the part where they climb up the building to get a look around and she spots the giraffe and I love the part where she you know I'll give you a boost up and you throw the yeah, ladder yeah, down to me yeah that is like a game mechanism like you oh, know yeah. whenever they want it's always I'll give you a boost up he I think. I, I lost count, but I got to say that Joel or somebody like Joel boosts somebody in that game. It, it's about as popular as looking through drawers for stuff. Like that's how often he boosts Sally up to go and to go and drop down a ladder to him. Right. And the, the fact that she drops the ladder on him, which is, I think, funny because she does do that in the game once. But um, and it may have been this particular scene. But yeah. And and there were yeah, there were there were more giraffes in, in the in reality in this one here. But. And that whole scene, there's a there's a whole bunch of skirmishes that happen before they actually get to the to the uh, till they meet um, the fireflies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the 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 scene with the the doc the operating room scene is literally right out of the thing. He doesn't get out quite as easily as as they, he does in this episode, like because he kind of picks her up and he has to put her down for a minute to take care of you know some baddies that come along, but and then he goes back and picks her up back up and carries <laughs> carries on with her, right? Um, but, but yeah, just, just from a look and feel point of view, there's a few times in this in this TV show where it's been like literally a dramatization of the cutscenes, right? Which is cool. Which shows just how good a game it is, you know? Like, yeah, and the show I think has been pretty reverent of the fact that this is based on a video game. They have thrown in a few little little tastes for the people who are are gamers who will appreciate that it's got a little bit of tongue-in-cheek game mechanics and stuff like that yeah 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 definitely but the opening scene the six minute you know cold open was completely unique that's the you know the the birth the birth and, yeah uh, i actually and how she actually gets infected right so yeah i heard a uh an interview with um 
with the the game creator and and the show creator uh the other day and it was really interesting to hear them sort of say you know yeah we talked about you know how do we do this and they decided to sort of add this in and sort of build the mythology a little bit as a sort of fresh scene and yeah. it, was, it was a pretty memorable scene and, and again uh so you know you, this is i guess where we talk about ashley johnson but to have ashley johnson who played uh ellie in the game in the game version of the game uh come, yeah, the voice capture actor. Yeah, yeah she was the, she was the actress who portrayed ellie in the in the um the motion capture stuff and to have her come back and be her own mom and literally as she births you know figuratively birthed ellie into the world as a game character she literally births her here and and dies in the process and and we we get that sort of first ever hint at this is how ellie ended up with this immunity was that her mom was bitten and she was connected to her mom just long enough to have maybe the slightest trace of the spores in her and just enough that you know her her body basically is able to to avoid being killed by these things no matter how many times she's bitten yeah it was pretty uh yeah it was a pretty pretty scary way to open the episode and of course you know we've talked about sort of Ellie's evolution over the course of the series but to see you know the fact that like one of the first things she ever hears is you know her mom being shot to death by marlene as an act of mercy is uh is yeah, it's pretty pretty devastating it's pretty upsetting yeah but then you know it's funny because they they did a good job and I, i'm led to understand that the scene that follows that where joel and ellie are sort of having their conversation about well you know what do we do from here are we going to finish it are we you know and Joel's sort of saying, "We got to, you know, you can always walk away. You don't have to do this." And in the end, they basically say, "You know," she she says, and I think I've got in the quotes here. After everything we've been through, everything I've done, it can't be for nothing. Is Ellie's attitude. And so the two of them are going to go and find this place. And of course, they get ambushed by the fireflies and taken prisoner. And that point, we find out that you know Marlene has made her way across the country, and that you know Ellie's being prepped for surgery, and that she doesn't know it, but she's basically she's going to get her brain removed and and die so that they can try and figure out a way to to cure things and joel who's just basically confessed that you know ellie has essentially saved his life from just being the you know an, an absolute morass of, of you know horror yeah he just snaps and and that scene i thought felt like the most video game thing we've ever seen in the series when he mm-hmm. is literally just going from room to room picking up guns you know, very efficiently walking from a room, hiding behind corners, killing people like that felt very video gamey. But I guess it gets us to the big question of the episode, which is, I guess, I guess the big one is, did Joel do the right thing? Did he do what Ellie would have wanted? And what would you have done? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like, I mean, she, I, I don't know if Ellie knew like, she just thought they were going to extract some blood and do some tests and figure out why she's got this immunity, right? Um, but the fact that they decide that the only way, spoilers for, again, I mentioned spoilers at the beginning of the section, but again, seriously, um, they have to remove her brain to get, to figure out why, you know, this this isn't affecting her. You know, if she had known that was going to be the case, would she have gone this far, right? Like, I mean, she seems to enjoy being alive, right? Um and it does seem like it seems kind of a shame that that she would have to be killed to to solve this problem or to not even to solve it because you don't there's no guarantee that they'll be able to figure it out right like human beings are so complex as it is and and fragile that there's no way they could they could uh determine this 
this thing. But I, I did like the sort of the playing with the timeline in, in the sense that, you know, as she's getting, as she's being bit, you know, uh, her mother hasn't cut the umbilical cord yet, right? Because I think she's fighting the zombie off as she's giving birth, right? Or the, the infected off, right? Um, and then she realized she's been bit, and then, you know, she cuts the cord, and, and she lies to um, Marlene, saying that the baby was not, it was, the cord was cut before the baby was, um, before she was bitten, I should say, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's no way. But but that, like you said, that little, you know, split second, uh, or, you know, couple of, couple of pumps of heart, blood mus- muscle, blood into the placenta, into the baby, was enough to give Ellie a lifetime of immunity, right? Yeah, which is what they they need to figure out, like how to how to vaccinate people to to get them, you know, to survive this thing. Because because I mean, like it's kind of in the game that that like that doesn't that part of the story doesn't exist, um, or doesn't exist in in version one of the game. Um, so you know, like is that is because it, it's kind of miraculous. Like how come how come this one kid you know is, is immune and yet the entire society is not? Yeah. It's uh, well, and of course, no. Like Marlene would have to have an inkling that that's what had happened, but she didn't know. She she turned her into the into the uh, into Fedra as an orphan. She did, but then right, she, it, she said she thought that was the safest place for her. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but she well, doesn't realize she's she's got this immunity until Ellie actually gets bitten as a teenager. Right. It's true, but then once she does, she has to be able to put two and two together. Like, oh, maybe. Her mom was lying to me. Maybe she's, mm. you know, she's got this. You'd think that, you know, somebody would write that down, put it on a carrier pigeon, something, something, so that, you know, that possibility of, well, what if we introduce this substance into, you know, pregnant woman, you know, or into an umbilical cord right before a birth, or, you know, like they, you'd think they would find a way to, you know, replicate that. That, but then I guess they don't think they have to if they can basically tell Ellie, like, have a little nappy, it's going to be fine, we're just going to take your brain out. Yeah. So the question is, did Joel do the right thing, and what would you have done? Well, there's two parts to that. He did, did he do the right thing in rescuing her, and did he tell her the truth? Because we know he didn't, right? Well, did he do the right thing by lying to her, I guess? I guess, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Jaime? <laughs> Ethical Hour with Jaime Lopez. So I... From Joel's perspective, I think he made the right choice for his character in that, uh, you know, he had lost his daughter and and lost his uh, sort of faith in humanity. And as he mentioned, you know, at some point, at the lowest point, he'd uh, lost his reason for existing. And here he found somebody new and and came to accept Ellie as his daughter um, and didn't feel like it was worth sacrificing her for like this potential chance. And even if you told him it was a hundred percent chance of a cure, I'm not even sure that he would allow her to make the decision, which sort of turns it into the wrong decision from Ellie's perspective, because both the fireflies and Joel rob Ellie of her agency. Um, On the one end you have the fireflies are probably like, Hey, you know what? Uh, It probably will terrorize this kid if she says no right if she's captain america and she jumps on the grenade fine everything's good but if she uh if she says no like this is way worse right so it's better to just have it be like that um you remember that kid from like the like the first 
episode, maybe a first or second episode where they like encounter this kid who's wandered in. They give him a check and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, no, bro, this this kid's, you know, uh, infected. We got to get rid of him. So they like, you know, give him a nice lie of like, oh, we're giving you some medicine, you know, because maybe you've got some some problems. This is Flintstones vitamins, right? They just calmly put him to sleep and and mercifully end him. So that's what I was thinking there. And from the, you know, what does Ellie think? I can't remember what happens in how the game portrays it, but I feel like Bella Ramsey portrayed this as, I think she knows that Joel is lying, but accepts mm-hmm. that, that he made a decision that was right for the two of them, even if it was worse for the world, right? Because he tells her this, this fantasy, oh, there's dozens of you, it turns out. It wasn't going to work. And, oh, we just happened to get raided. Like, you know, more guys with baseball bats came in. And so I had to get to the hell out of there. Right. Like, I feel like, like from, from their points of view, I think the right decision was ultimately made from their points of view. Now, coming from my point of view, I feel like you've got to come back to the theme of, uh, you know, people who are important to you are absolutely worthless to other people. Uh, we saw that with, um, I apologize. I forget the uh, the Black Brothers, where the older brother had uh, killed mm-hmm. uh, this like white lady's brother to save his own brother from like cancer yeah, or something like that. Sam and Henry, I think it was. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Sam and Henry. Which means it was like Kathleen who wanted to kill a whole bunch of other people who were meaningless to her to get revenge for her brother. Right. So yeah, it's one of the right. things where he said like, look, we've you know lost something like 2 million people to the pandemic. So if you told me right now, you know, Jaime, you get to choose one loved one to eliminate and you save, you know, 2 million people, I'd say, heck no. Uh, if they said, hey, uh, what, about, what about your friends here, Tim? No, no, Tim. What about JPK? Uh, no. What about his, his uh, children, <laughs> Xavier Foster? No. What about that guy who flipped you off, you know, when you're driving in the car? It's like, oh, absolutely that guy, right? <laughs> Like eliminate that one dude who I hate, <laughs> uh, if only temporarily, to uh, undo the pandemic. Like, yeah, absolutely. And it it's all the same, isn't it? It's all uh, you know from a objective value. It's like you know two million people over one person. Like, yeah, but like that person is meaningful to me. And as you get further away from meaningful to me, I'm like, yeah, maybe we can go more objective here. Yeah, I think it's. Uh... It's tricky. I'm, I'll read the, this quote, which I thought really was uh, was was well done from from the the last episode. And it's Marlene when she's talking to Joel when she realizes that Joel's going to do whatever he has to do to keep Ellie alive. And she says, "You can't keep her safe forever. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you kill, she's going to grow up, Joel. And then, and one day you'll die. She'll leave. Then what?" How long till she's torn apart by infected or murdered by raiders because she lives in a broken world that you could have saved? She's 100% right. She's 100% right. You know, like he's not thinking about the big picture. He's not thinking about necessarily what's best for Ellie. He's not thinking what even what's about best for himself beyond the selfish. But I just found out that I could love again. And I love this little girl and I'm not going to let this happen to her. And he just goes into that blind rage and he doesn't care. I mean, he may have just shot the last surgeon on planet Earth in the forehead. Yeah, that's true. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a crazy thought. And, you know, I mean, I mean, you can have the ethical debate till the end of time. I mean, I I tend to follow the same kind of line of logic as Jaime did, which is, you know, it's awfully easy to sort of, you know, 
try and do the trolley problem well. You know, is it better to save the one versus the other? You know, what's what's more worth saving? But, you know, in the end, what he's come to realize is that he can't live without her and he doesn't want to live without her and he doesn't want her to die for what he perceives as nothing, even though, again, I come back to the first thing she says, it can't be for nothing. And theoretically, her death would not have been for nothing. It would or could have meant the end to all this and a brighter future for humanity. But that's not, he never lets her have that choice. Right. Good stuff. Great storytelling. I mean, talk about sticking a landing, man. Yeah. By the way, you know the uh, the you know what a trolley would say if if it could talk. You know I can stop, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although. <laughs> yes. <sighs> There's no argument for that. <laughs> no. No, it's true. Um. Yeah. I mean, this was an amazing television series. Uh. Really got you thinking. It was so much more. I don't know if it occurred to either of you, but like beyond, obviously we saw, you know, one of the infected at the beginning of this episode in the series and the the scene where we see Ellie Bourne, but the last few episodes have been very, very zombie light. Yeah. It's, it's really been, you know, the, the two episodes, you know, yeah, like three episodes in a row there where we saw people as the real threat and not that. Uh, But then, you know, I, I'm that's sure in The Walking Dead too. The people are the worst part of the show, right? Well, that's it, right? You know, like, and we see the extremes. You know, we see the 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 beautiful life that they found for themselves at this commune where uh, Tommy is, but then you also see the people starving and eating each other, and the one <laughs> the one before that. So you know, it's 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 tricky, but you know, like that's the the pitch now is basically like, well, that didn't work out. Let's go back and live our happy lives. You can. Go back to that house that we had together and, and live happily ever after. Although I, I sincerely doubt we're going to see the same for a season two and three. And it'll be interesting. Again, I don't know much about season two or the game, second game that is. I'll be curious to see uh, what they do to sort of reconcile all this and, and sort of where the story goes from here. If, you know, she has this seed of doubt in her mind, will she be looking for the opportunity to to make amends, to do things differently? I, I think it's exciting to know that this isn't the end, even though this was a killer, like they could walk away and this would be an all timer HBO nine, nine episode series, but knowing we're going to get probably at least a couple more seasons is, is pretty awesome. All right, well, let's move on to the watch list and then look like Jaime up first. Yeah. Um, it felt like this was pretty well timed that the honest trailers came out, uh, for, from screen junkies on YouTube for the goodies. Because it has uh, Kihi Kwan, who recently won an Oscar, and he shows up in this one. So, kind of a kind of a fun one for those of you who who enjoyed. And as they point out here in uh, one of the ones, there's a, there's a lot of actors in here who who stuck around. Kihi Kwan, uh, Corey Feldman, Martha Plimpton, Josh Brolin, Sean Astin. So yeah, kind of interesting to see how this this one little uh, kids movie, which is beloved by many folks who grew up in the '80s, and uh, and still stays pretty timely, and and they do kind of make some some interesting uh, sort of funny roles here about uh, gentrification and how the most realistic plan to avoid gentrification was to go find treasure from a pirate map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, did you see that Polly Shore did reply to uh, Brendan Fraser and Kiki Wan about uh, the fact that they were all three of them in oh. Encino Man? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, so last week I talked about Flickstore and I thought I would give it a test drive myself. I managed to get a, a free slot and I watched Luther, The Fallen Sun, 
which is appearing on Netflix right now. Um, it's the supposedly final installment of the Luther uh, character by Idris Elba. Um, I discovered Idris Elba not from The Wire like most people did, but I discovered him from Luther because I like British TV shows and I just happened to stumble across this one. Um, I think they did three seasons on the BBC and then this is a sort of a tie-up or last one. Um, Luther is sort of, he's a, his expertise is in serial killers. And uh, so he, um, you know, he's sort of a cop that uh, they talk him about, he's described as being an analog cop in in this episode, but uh, he, um, there's a, there's a technology, technologies used in this one that the, uh, the, bad guy played by Andy Serkis in this one and no secret because he's in the first scene as the bad guy but uh he uses technology to to get his victims right but uh so of course you know Luther's kind of out of his element but but the story begins with him having been thrown in jail Luther for you know being a, a sort of a corrupt cop um a corrupt cop who solves crimes you know and uh, so at the beginning of it, it starts up with him on the phone with the trying to trying to solve the the crime from his uh his cell which i thought oh no are we going to have another inside men rip off but uh it's quite good it's uh, if you're i don't know if you've ever seen luther before but it's an interesting sort of um who's that uh you know the character that uh, uh i think um i'm trying to think of his name now the guy who does the deep voices for the from Shawshank Redemption. Well, Morgan um, Freeman. Yeah. Morgan Freeman. He plays a character, a repeating recurring character in a bunch of different uh, movies where he's sort of a, a, a crime solver, right? Sort of thing. But so, very similar kind of, you know, you know, instinctual sense of what's what can be done. It's a really good, good story. A bit James Bond. It's a bit technology. It's a bit, you know, um, Mr. Robot. And of course, it's a good cop show. But it, I mean, not so much on the sci-fi other than the technology, but still pretty good um so i highly recommend that and then the uh other things i as i mentioned earlier we we're talking about tar which is the performance by kate blanchett uh she was nominated for for best actress in this in this film uh it's an interesting story it's kind of um i forgot how they describe her but she's she, at one point they just uh, somebody in a reviewer referred to her as sort of a weinstein kind character but as as a you know a female um it's it's an interesting movie from the point of view that it's all told from her perspective. So, you know, she's she's questionable, she's um threatening, she uses she seems to be she's accused of using her position to, you know, um manipulate people to to you know give her what she wants kind of thing. Um in the same sense as, you know, the you know, the people who in the, in the sort of me too um position of power kind of abuse of power uh kind of thing. So, but but from her perspective, again, so you don't really get into the sort of what society thinks about her. It's all from how this affects her as a person and mm-hmm. how her, you know, she's at the top of her game in the beginning of the movie and she, you know, she has a decline, right? Um, so, but really well, really well played and really well portrayed in that sense. But kind of a kind of a disturbing movie too. But uh, not not a whole lot of violence and that kind of stuff. So it, it is approachable and... Uh, interesting to sort of see the the way that the uh, you know orchestras run as well, which is kind of an interesting thing. So interesting movie. I can see why why it got nominated for Academy Award, uh, but I don't think it's a movie for everybody. So I, I just added another one that uh, so last weekend uh, in anticipation of the Oscars, we finally sat down and watched a movie that I had been tending to watch for quite a while, which is the Banshees of Inisherin. 
which was at times uproariously funny and at times heartbreakingly sad. It was a very, very um, unusual story. I enjoyed it, and the performances were wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a very unique film, uh, but just uh, quite dark at times, quite sort of unsettling and, and weird. But, um, but the performances are wonderful, and, um, and it's just a, it's such a weird movie, because it's, it's almost like uh, Tim we used to watch um, Rescue Me, right? Where there'd be an episode where you'd be laughing hysterically, and by the end of it, you felt like crying. Like, that's what this movie was like, the roller coaster you were on, where there's times where you just, you are laughing out loud at the absurdity of these, these small people in this small place, and, you know, just the, the nonsense of their day-to-day routines, and then, you know, this sort of disruptive element comes in, but this one person's decision, and it just sort of goes off the rails in these really weird mm-hmm. and upsetting ways. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much worth a watch. The performances of, um, Brendan Gleeson and, um, oh, what's the other fellow's name? The, uh, Colin, Colin, Colin Farrell, uh, yeah. uh, are, are really, really standouts. They were, they were really quite, quite excellent. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's definitely worth a watch, but it's, um, it does take a turn in the second half. So be prepared. Yeah. The young guy, like uh, the, who was nominated for, um, Best supporting actor. Yeah, uh, he was Keogh. really good. Like I could see him. I I could have seen him winning the Academy Award. He was great. Yeah, he was. He was great. Perfor- great portrayal. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because he was very convincing as as a doofus, right? Well, yeah, he's supposed to be <laughs> kind know? of uh, a little little slow, simple. little slow. Yeah, yeah. simple. Yeah. But um. Yeah, it's, it's the the line that still it stuck with me since last week when I watched it. The line where he's he sort of confesses that he's interested in this this woman and. She says, I'm not really interested in you. And he goes, well, oh, well, there goes that dream. Like, it just, it just sort of yeah. this little toss off line. It's just the most devastating thing. This, this, this fellow, you know, it's just uh, the way that he delivers that is so beautiful and, and sweet mm-hmm. and sad. And oh uh, yeah, you're, no, you're right. He was, he was really quite good too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would say definitely worth a watch. I, I can understand why it got nominated in a bunch of different areas. Although it won exactly zero, zero Oscars. Um, I didn't realize it was um, Colin Farrell's first nomination. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's yeah. Yeah, yeah he's been in a lot of things, right? So. Yeah, although he's been kind of all over the place. He's made some interesting film choices over the years, and uh, I think his um, off-camera antics, I think, might have tainted a little bit of people's perceptions of him as a serious performer, too. The other thing I put in here, I almost kind of put in just for the laugh of it. I don't know if either of you had a chance to watch this trailer. Uh, Netflix is doing a movie that's coming out in early April. It is titled Chupa. And it is about, uh, it's one of those like classic 1980s style movies where, you know, a boy meets strange creature, develops strong bond, and he does everything in his power to save it. Very E.T.-esque, I would guess. Uh, in this case, it happens to be a chupacabra, a baby chupacabra, uh-huh. which is, um, uh, I mean, Jaime, you're, you're, it's closer to your neck of the woods down that way, but it, uh, it's this mythological creature that has wings, but is also kind of like a beast body and, uh, is supposed to be legendarily sort of, uh, you know, lives in the desert and rips the heads off things and eats them. Goats in right. particular. 
It's like yeah. literally goat sucker, I think oh, is just how you translate what that is literally, but like goat eater would probably be the <laughs> the English translation. But somehow they've turned this into a like sweet little family romp. So uh I would recommend watching the trailer. it scores very high on the unintentional comedy scale. I found myself kind of <laughs> shrugging my shoulders and, and giggling a little bit as I was watching it. I'm like, really? Really? Like it's it's like Somebody was like, well, what if we took E.T.? But in this time, we made it a uh, Latinx family, and we put it down here, and it, he falls, and he makes close friends with the Chupacabra. And somebody was like, yes, make me that movie. Uh, it's it's a very weird, random thing. But, uh, you know, they canceled uh, Dark Crystal. They're making this instead. Yeah. What do you know? <laughs> but watch the trailer. It's it's It's... So sort of sickeningly sweet. It's almost like yeah, it's like they've added uh, two shots of vanilla syrup into a, a ET for the modern kids. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people will get in touch with you, where would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. And how about you, Hami? Where people find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine, and the Mastodon machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. So, Japan. Did you get the tires in Yokohama? <laughs> Did you get the what? The tires? Tires, yeah. Do they not have Yokohama tires in the United States? Oh, is that a Canadian me, thing? Let me look up the brand. I don't know. <laughs> let me see if I've seen them. They, they uh, call things differently in the States. They have like they have a whole different way of measuring things that are in the United yeah, States. Yeah, based on like us. some guy's foot or something? I don't understand. Yeah, they stole it from uh, Let's see, uh, Yokohama Tire. Yeah, I guess it's not. I mean, I would normally think of like Firestone, Bridgestone. Um, I'm, I'm sure. And now I'm going to pay attention yeah, to the next time I go. States? Yeah, Michelin's. Mm-hmm. Pirelli, Michelin, you know. Pretty sure I, I I might have Yokohama tires on my car right now. Now that I think about it. So what was the coolest thing you, you saw? You've been there before, but uh, what was the coolest thing? Yeah, um, I guess the, the most notable thing was the um, the the two-scale... You know, uh, one-to-one scale size uh, Gundam mecha that they have. Oh, in, I've seen um, pictures of that. In Yokohama. It's like six stories tall, maybe more, uh, slightly more. That's awesome. Wow.
and it, it is pretty damn cool like you can get pretty close to it there's there's an even closer ticket which um was sold out on the day that i went you get up on a deck but you could totally understand how you know if you saw one of these walking down the street you poop your pants right like it's just this <laughs> massive beast of a machine of like oh yeah it's a it's a walking tank uh so that was that was probably the the coolest bit the did did uh, you fly it and where do you fly into and do you take like a train and all that stuff yeah in in this case the the conference was in yokohama but i decided since i was going to fly into tokyo anyways in this case uh haneda airport which is a little bit more you know more central to the city than than narita narita is like an hour hour and a half by bus to get back to the main part of tokyo so if you've got the option i highly recommend going to haneda um i spent about half the week in tokyo did some stuff uh caught up with some friends who live there and then yokohama is maybe 45 minutes by train um real efficient train to get there so no problem at all to switch over to the the second hotel i got with a bunch of cool people people i'd met before people who are new and i just had a really good time it's been four years since the last time i was there it uh yeah. doesn't feel like that long at all so it was really weird really weird in some ways so it looks like Yokohama's on the Tokyo Bay as well, right? Yeah, there's a whole harbor thing. Um, the The vibe in Yokohama is different. I feel like if you, uh, you know, teleported me in my sleep and I looked out the window, I would immediately figure out I wasn't uh, in Tokyo. It's um, it's not a small city by any means. Like I think going by American sizes, uh, Tokyo is like New York, and I knew that um, that Osaka, which I've never been to is apparently like Chicago, uh, roughly equivalent and in, in around size. And Yokohama, despite me thinking, you know, in my uh in my ignorance that like, oh, it's probably a bit smaller, is actually around the size of like Los Angeles. Hmm. So it's it's got a uh, a slower vibe where Tokyo feels like go 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 uh blade runner neon lights. Um this feels a little bit more, you know, a little bit more low key. People aren't uh aren't dressed as fancy you'll start seeing more jeans more people walking dogs and stuff it, it feels a little bit more uh slower paced not slow paced by any means but uh, a little bit more relaxed and chill than the the up all night kind of tokyo japan is a, is a huge island i mean like or islands i guess right i mean it's almost it's almost as long or maybe a little bit longer than british columbia like in terms of size it's huge i didn't realize that i didn't realize it was that big yeah yeah, it, like when uh, you look at the map on Apple Maps, it looks like it's all metropolis around Tokyo, including including Yokohama and a few other places, right? It's one of those things where, uh, I mean, if you look at like an aerial view, it's like real questionable as to why isn't Yokohama part of Tokyo? Like, how did you decide all of these other little towns were part of the Tokyo metropolis, but Yokohama was not? Um, it's it's not far at all from Tokyo and. Um, definitely definitely a, a cool place to go to um the the weirdest thing i did was um in the the neighborhood of harajuku which is sort of well known because of uh, you know like, <laughs> I like the, where this story's going the, the people the people you know uh you know do all sorts of weird fashionable things uh there's weird sort of food things like uh i i made a quick trip through there and i happened to to eat um ice cream that's in the the shape of poop with like an emoji face on it and you know it's served <laughs> in like a little plastic toilet bowl and it even it even is prepared in this social media world it's prepared to 
have you take photos of that. So they have like little ring lights with uh, phone holders that are meant for you to like use, put there and take a photo of yourself in bright light. But then also like if there's like an animal that you want to have, you know, cafe with probably pretty good chance they have that. They have uh, cat cafes, dog cafes, owl cafes, pig cafes. I'm pretty sure there's an otter cafe because there was a dude on the street feeding an otter on his shoulder, like, you know, like a, like a pirate with a parrot. So I, I think he was probably <laughs> trying to attract people into his cafe. Um, but the, the strangest one was the Anakuma Cafe, which apparently the, the, the two words combined together, Ana is whole and Kuma is bear. So like here in the States and probably in Canada, if you say, oh, uh, you know, this, this cafe is a hole in the wall, what you mean is it's probably pretty small. It may or may not even have that many, you know, tables or anything. This literally was a hole in the wall where you use a little little iPad to order your, your donuts and to order your, your drinks, uh, like coffee or tea. And out of a hole in the wall, a bear paw gives you your stuff. You never actually see a person. <laughs> <laughs> There's hypothetical bears <laughs> behind the, you know, shy bears behind the wall that give you stuff. So that's yeah. weird, man. Like, was the hardest thing to comprehend too i, sh- I should have watched a youtube video before i went figure out how it works <laughs> how uh, yeah. how did you manage with the language it is uh kind of interesting uh it's not as bad this time because you know kind of had an easier easier sense of how things work but it's funny going into another country and being almost completely illiterate like yes mm. uh, you know you can do things like use google maps yes there are Especially in Tokyo, there are some things that have English on them, but I don't speak the language really. I I cannot read uh, for the most part, and so you kind of you kind of learn to get around with like you know my basic uh, one or two year old child's equivalent of uh, of Japanese, and um, I would say that the the train system is by far like the best in the world here, where um, everything is really well thought out. Where you know, hey, hey uh, is... you're talking to somebody of German descent. I think we need to talk about this. I, I guess I need to try that because I, <laughs> I, I've admittedly not tried that. But the the system where it's like, okay, you don't even have to speak the language, but if you know that this lime green line and where it goes to, you have all sorts of uh, signs and iconography that lead you to the lime green line. The platform is lime green. The train that shows up is lime green. So you, you kind of oh. know where you're going, right? Uh, and it's like, oh, there's another line, and it's red. Cool. Kind of know what to look for when looking for signs. There's another line that's yellow. There's one that's blue. There's it's like, I I took a different picture uh, here at SeaTac uh, Airport in Seattle, where I was very angry trying to just get around the airport because they've got a new train system, and it's like uh, uh, six gates total. Um, and maybe I'll find a picture here out of my stuff where it's like, oh, okay, so there's like a green line in Seattle that goes between the uh, the C, N, and D gates, and a, kind of like a little triangle circle, just imagine, and a blue line that goes between the A, B, and S gates, and then there's a yellow line that just shuttles you between the A gate and the D gate. You're trying to get over to these clusters. And I speak English, and I've been to this airport before, and yet when I walked up to one of the gates and looked for the train, I'm like, am I supposed to take this train? Or this other train over here, and could not immediately tell. Uh, yes, it is possible to figure out, but I'm like, I, I'm 
a native here. I speak the language. The iconography is all messed up. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's blue on the screen. Oh, wait, may maybe that's not the blue line that I want. Maybe there's a little bit of green here, too. And where is it going? And it's for a much simpler thing. So this is where I think the, the Japanese train system is like much easier for me to use as a foreigner than the little tiny train system we have at the airport in my uh, the town that I live in. Uh, maybe I'm a little early to proclaim it the best in the world. I need to I need to try the German one at some point. Um, I have tried the one in London, uh, which is nice, way better than just about anything we have in the U.S. Uh, but but not as good as the the Japanese one, especially because the the London trains are like slow to get out of the the station and slowly um, slow down into the station, whereas the Japanese ones are like. We don't got no time for this. Like we're gonna get up to max speed in about three seconds, and we're gonna slow down from max speed to zero in about three seconds too. So very, very efficient timing there. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I will say the only thing I found about uh, the German system, having traveled on it a bunch of times, is uh, just like Japan, they pride themselves on timeliness. So that you're not gonna be late, or the train's not gonna show up late. It's not gonna leave late. That doesn't happen. But the one in Germany, it's because it's such an, uh, it, I'm, it's probably the same in Japan. It's such an old country where the trains were so widely adopted. You can take a train everywhere. Like whether you have to transfer trains, but you, you can take a train to the smallest place easily. Whereas, you know, in places in North America, you know, you can, you can get to the big places pretty easily on a train, but you know, if you're trying to get to somewhere small, you're going to have to take a bus or get a car or whatever else. In Germany, man, you could take a train to the smallest little burg. It just seems like the trains run everywhere. It's bonkers. I uh, I must admit, the one thing that has been on my bucket list and is now onto my children's bucket lists is uh, Akihabara. Uh, it's, it's been on my to-do list for most of my life. That's one place I've always wanted to go in Tokyo uh, and just immerse myself in, uh, you know, otaku and just go nuts on the video games and... Yeah, that just that just looked like the coolest place. I've had a few friends who have gone. One of my uh, friends from work went a few years back and brought me back some weird. He bought uh, for Foster brought back some uh, Kirby, the little uh, the pink Kirby Nintendo game character. Brought back um, mm -hmm. uh, little uh, soy sauce dishes with the like the little shallow soy sauce dishes with Kirby's face on them for uh, for Foster. I thought that was really kind of fun. But yeah, it seems like. It's just this, such a unique part of the culture, and it's just so deep in that one place. I, I'm I've always wanted to check that out. Yeah, they got a lot of video game stuff, a lot of anime manga stuff. Um, yeah, there's a a whole bunch of maid cafes there, um, and right down the main street, there's like a like a murderer's row of maids trying to get you to go into their respective stores. Uh, it's it's quite bananas to to sort of comprehend at first. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just so different. I think that's the one thing I've, I've come to value in traveling now is just, I like to go places that are just wholly unique. Like I, I do respect to, uh, America. Like it's, it's not, there are places in the United States that are very different than, than what we have here, but a lot of it's the same. Like if you were lost in downtown yeah. Chicago or lost in Toronto, that different. if you're in Las Vegas, okay. Admittedly, that's kind of unique, but you know, I've been to some places where I've thought, you know, like I've never been to anywhere like Venice. There's there's nowhere else like that. It's just a very unique place on on planet Earth. Um, 
and yeah, I think I think culture. I'd, I'd love to go and, and visit uh, Japan for that same reason. It's just it's like something else. It's just something completely different. It was um, getting in there, and I think they they just relaxed more restrictions um, this week. But getting the planning, even though it was more relaxed than it was you know months ago, is still pretty intense. Where it's like, okay, you got to go to this website, visit Japan web. You got to upload your COVID stuff, your um, your vaccination stuff, which will give you like a blue uh, blue square if you're good. Otherwise, bad stuff happens. You can have to do testing and stuff over there. Um, then you also fill out the you know like the little paper forms that they would give you on the flight when you're about to land for uh, customs and immigration declarations. You fill those out. You get a, a QR code for each one of those. And then when you land and you have to go through uh these big hallways there are like uh, like a hollywood red carpet premiere worth of people just all in these pink t-shirts wearing masks and have signs talking about the visit japan web and uh, qr codes and stuff and they're just guiding you towards the direction you need to go that's very hmm. weird i don't understand why they didn't just have a bunch of signs i don't know why it was not just an empty hallway um i'm sure there's a reason to have the people guiding cuz i probably walked like I'm going to call it 100 meters, but remember my my meters kilometerage thing is not well well gauged. I'm going to be like, I'm pretty sure I walked around a racetrack, uh, you know, a human racetrack once. So um, it was it was sort of really nice and that things went really fast if you had all of that stuff set up. But if you weren't like me, who was in the know, you probably were in for a world of pain going through the slower process. Hmm. Kind of word to the wise there that. Pay attention to your your government's travel site when it says, hey, you should do this thing uh, to make it easier to go to this country because of who you are, then, uh, then do that. It worked out well for me. How, uh, how long is the flight from Seattle to Tokyo? It's a nonstop flight, thankfully, from uh, SeaTac Airport in Seattle to Haneda in Tokyo for about 10 hours. I think it's almost 10 hours flat. So not bad at all. I, I bet you it's closer to like, you know, 14 hours from like Canada, from like Toronto. If you were to fly nonstop, I never checked to see. I got some bad news for you. There's no, there's no nonstop flights from here to Seattle. So uh, I don't know. I hope I, I don't know if there's, there must be direct flights from, from Toronto to Tokyo. But I mean, from here to Vancouver is five hours in a plane. So yeah, I'd say it's probably 15 hours ish. Depends, and you're going against the wind too, right? So yeah, hmm. yeah. You can you can fly to. Um... I flew into Seattle, but yeah, I guess we'd have to do like a hop from Vancouver or whatever. We did that when we went to Hawaii. We had to stop in in um, either Dallas or uh, um, Vancouver. Yeah, we flew to Seattle a few years back for a friend's wedding, and uh, we, oh, right, we yeah. had to fly to Denver. So we had to fly from Toronto. Oh, you couldn't go directly to Seattle? There's no direct flights at that point. There may be now, although who knows. But no. Well, I went in 2010, so. Yeah. Darren was married by then, I think, right? Yeah, I think he got married. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Those kids were born. Yeah, it was probably somewhere in the similar ballpark. But yeah, we couldn't get a direct flight. We ended up flying Toronto to Denver, Denver to Seattle, and then the same thing on the way back. Well, it looks like if you wanted to... Now you're making me think. I wonder. <laughs> so bypassing Seattle, if you, just according to Google uh, Google's flights, if I wanted to go from Toronto, uh, Pearson International Airport, I'm guessing that's your main airport, right? Um, yep, yep. If you wanted to go to Narita, oh, granted, Narita, like I said, is like probably like an hour, maybe a little bit more than an hour bus into the main part of Tokyo. But uh, Toronto to Narita Airport is, where is it? I just saw it right now. 
13 and a half hours. It's probably closer it's to like bad. 14. Uh, this is often delayed by 30 plus minutes, uh, interestingly enough. But it hmm. is it is pricey. It is uh, right now, if I wanted to fly on April 1st, now granted that's pretty near term, that would be $3,200 round trip. Yeah, that's uh, one of the reasons why we haven't gone yet. Pricey, pricey. Yeah, that's that's steep. Yeah, I mean Canadian flights. I don't, I don't know what the difference is. A lot of Canadians in this area will drive from here to Buffalo, cross the border, park mm. their car, and fly out of Buffalo to go anywhere, just because the price is so much cheaper. Canadian flights in and out of Canada are kind of kooky. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Well, weird. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it has something to do with our, you know, regulations and taxes and, you know, we've got to pay for the subsidized sci-fi somehow, right? It's true. <laughs> true. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Okay. you guys next time. Until next time. What's, what's happening this time? We have no more Last of Us. Yeah, so we still got the usuals for a few more weeks. We've got two more weeks of Clone Wars. we got five more weeks of Picard and Mandalorian. This was three we just had so five more weeks of that too so picard and mandalorian will end the same week and i think at that point we'll be kind of wrapped because i don't think there's much of anything for a while after that yeah when does when does last of discovery start uh not till 2024 it's not coming back till january oh okay yeah huh so we might be uh they haven't said when strange new worlds is coming back they haven't said when prodigy is coming back and they haven't said when all right Lower Decks is coming back, so in five weeks from now, we might be uh, on a, a little hiatus for, for a bit if we choose. Yeah, I wonder if this is a repercussions from the pandemic still. So. Mm. I get the impression it's a scale down. I think they've just kind of scaled down yeah. a little bit. I think they were kind of just banging out product when they knew they had the captive audience at home, and now that people are out doing stuff, mm. they're, maybe, I think, maybe. a little less urgent to kind of get it out there, although it's... Fill the gap, yeah. It's funny that, uh, you know, the, the Lopez calculus is going to get skewed by this because, I, 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 Jaime, I don't think you're going to need to have that subscription to uh, to a couple of those platforms for a while. Hmm. Yeah, it really depends on what ends up coming out. My notes have just 2023 for stuff like Skeleton, uh, Star Wars Skeleton Crew, Secret Invasion, uh, Strange New World, which I think you mentioned. Um, what else have I gotten here? I think the, the only thing near term that we know for sure that that I marked down was Star Wars Vision season two, but that's not till not till May fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So there'll be there'll be a little window there anyway, so we'll we'll have to figure out what we want to do. I can't see us doing uh, a whole uh, long I mean I guess we could do shorter episodes. That would be a novel concept, but we could do shorter episodes for uh for stuff like that if we wanted to. But uh, yeah, I don't think we're not gonna have Trek, I don't think for, for a fair while. Um, yeah, it sounds like some of this stuff is getting bumped because they had, um, they had a bunch of Marvel stuff planned for this year. They had Agatha Coven of Chaos, Echo, Loki, Secret Invasion, and X-Men 97 all coming this year, but it sounds like they're going to push at least two of those. It sounds like Agatha is moving to next year. It sounds like Echo is moving into next year. And I think they're going to just do Secret Invasion, Loki, and X-Men 97 this year. And if they spread those out, that that's, that's a bit. Uh, of stuff they haven't announced when Ahsoka's coming yet. They haven't announced when Prodigy, Strange New Worlds are coming. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a little, little sparse for a bit there. Yep. Anyway, talk to you guys next time. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.